100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge, and we discuss Bill's background and how his former career in the Army led to the idea behind Spartan Forge. We spent a lot of time talking about the new LiDAR and Blue Force tracker features, how to use them in your scouting and hunting efforts, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from Tyler Turchek out of Pennsylvania. Tyler wrote in, Thanks for all the help through the podcast and the Mountain Buck Scouting Camp. A lot of the information I've learned led me to shooting my first PA archery buck. The Sika cargo box I won at the scouting camp also came in handy this year, packing my stand and sticks in the area that I shot this buck. I have been bow hunting the mountains of southwestern Pennsylvania ever since I was a teenager with little success to show for it. In 2020, I decided to scout an area of public ground that was very far from access points. In doing so, I put a couple cameras on some heavy community scrapes I found near the edge of a large mountain laurel patch. I ended up moving away for about a year and was unable to hunt it, but my camera data proved it had potential. Once I moved back to PA in August of 2022, I was excited to finally get up there in archery season. My first hunt there, I packed in my stand on Friday and camped out that night to get in early for an all-day sit. Unfortunately, with bad weather that day and the following Saturday, I was getting discouraged but decided to do one more all-day sit for the season. On November 13th, we had a light snow from the night before. And on my 30th sit of the season, I had this buck come up out of the mountain laurel at 8 a.m. to come check a scrape. I shot him at 20 yards and he expired quickly. I immediately called my dad to tell him the news and he brought my frame pack to help me with the three-mile pack out along with my dog. This hunt was a truly awesome experience to take what I've learned from the podcast and the Mountain Buck Scouting Camp and put it to use for a successful hunt. Well, congratulations, Tyler, on that beautiful buck and being able to finally get it done in Pennsylvania. And, and it's it's funny that, so Tyler, he said he moved away for a while. And when he came to the scouting camp, he drove all the way from Georgia for the weekend for the scouting camp and had to drive straight back to work and sleep in the parking lot uh, by the time he drove through the night to, to get back to work on Monday, which is shown some serious dedication that as you can see with spending all that time in 2022 in the woods and and being persistent i mean it shows when you put effort into what you want and put put in that that continued effort over time that it can you can be successful with it so congratulations and you guys can check out the the photos of that buck and him packing it out some really nice photos that he has over on instagram at east meets west hunt or facebook at east meets west outdoors so the only news i have this week i just wanted to share briefly so we finished up the second annual mountain buck scouting camp i have a whole podcast that uh, recorded with johnny stewart here uh, next week um, kind of going through the scouting camp what happened and, and a bunch of other stuff just talking about scouting based on conversations and topics that were brought up during the camp it was definitely unanimous as far as some of the things that that you guys you know want to learn or, or struggle with and it really helped with some clarity on my end with uh, with yeah what what people are struggling with and getting through it but I'll just say again just briefly like the group of people that we had here from the attendees to the presenters to everybody helping out was such a great group and I really feel like it had that deer camp vibe 
that I was hoping for and and looking for. Everybody was super engaged. Got to have you know one on one time with with everybody, and then the classroom setting in the field. It was uh, it was truly uh, an incredible experience. And and Gunner from the Hungry Huntsman cooked some amazing meals for everybody. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to doing this again next year and just continually evolving, taking feedback and 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 continually making it better. So, uh, like I said, will be more information on how the camp went and and some of the stories and details of that in next week's podcast with Johnny. But until then, I hope you enjoy this podcast with Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge. All right, Bill Thompson, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. How you been? Good. How about you? Busy. Got the, what do you got, the big truck high boy there? Yep, I got two of them. I got the, I fell in love with this last year at the scouting camp. The the high boy, well, the half cab's actually my jam. High boy's good, but half cab's where it's at. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, no, that's some that's some good stuff there. That's that's the last that I got of that, and then I um, we'll get more for the scouting camp here in a few weeks. So that'll be that'll be good. But which you're coming to, which is exciting. Be there, I'll be there. Can't wait. Yeah, the whole whole crew. It was a good time last year. No, it definitely was. And same crews coming back. Some new faces, some new people, and stuff. And who are the new guys? Um, well, I guess for the the instructional part, adding Moose. Ryan Glitzky. Oh, nice. Uh, so he's going to be helping out. Other than that, it's the same instructor board. And Mason doesn't know it yet, but going to have him be involved, especially with the in-the-field scouting portion. And you haven't told him yet? No. Well played. <laughs> I asked him to help out, and that was... Uh... Does Ryan know that he's involved? Yeah, Ryan oh, knows. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan. He wasn't pretty much like teaching last year, too, almost. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I was like, yeah. right, we need to we need to have you officially up here helping out and, and teaching. So that'll be fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. But we uh, we were just filming some videos today, hanging out at uh, my dad's basement. As you can see, it's a little awesome. bit different environment than normal, but he's got a lot of eye candy around. Yeah, not just you. <laughs> <laughs> I almost spit out my drink, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I, there's more over here that people can't even see. There's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bucks on that wall. Yeah, and then he's got others that are in in the the back room that he pulled off to put the you know premier ones up. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive lifetime of of hunting whitetails and being just all in on it. And he's been hunting whitetail since he was little. Yeah. Like how old was his first white tail? Do you know? Probably 12. I don't know when he shot his first one, but uh, 12 is when you're allowed, we're allowed to hunt in Pennsylvania. Now with the mentor program, you can go younger, but I'd imagine somewhere around that age. When your, your dad, you said was born in 64? 66. 66. So did you have to get like uh hunter safety back then? Yeah, you did. You did? Yep. Because you see that stuff everywhere when you buy a license where it's like, if you were born before 19 something or other, you don't have to get a You're right. You do see that. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I remember him talking about going to a hunter safety course, but. Yeah, I, I did my first one in North Dakota and then I ended up doing it again while I was in Hawaii, which was quite a bit different. Um, I just couldn't. It was like before you could just call people and get things emailed to you. Um, <clears throat> and I had done my hunter safety in North Dakota was trying to go on like a hog and then a uh, axis deer hunt in Hawaii and was just trying to get my hunter safety so I could buy the tag and 
I ended up calling one office and they said they would send it to me out in Hawaii and it never showed. And then I called another office and they said they had no record that I'd taken it. So I was like, geez, I'll just go take the eight hour class. It's like, can I just send me my military ID? Is that good enough? <laughs> like if I can deploy with rifles and shoot things, can I please go shoot a deer to eat it? Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway. Well, yeah. And, and it's funny about hunter safety is like, you know, when you go on, like you're trying to buy a license out of state and they require the card and they want, they want your ID number or like your, um, yeah, your certification, your certification number. number. Well, the Pennsylvania ones don't have that. They just have an instructor number that's oh, okay. on there. It's just this orange, you know, orange car. I still have my original one and I also keep a picture of it on my phone and then I have one saved on Google Drive as well, backups upon backups. Can you access that Google Drive, Bo? What do you mean? Well, don't you remember like a couple of years ago? Yeah. This when you were like, hey, Bill, I can't access this Google Drive. Yeah, I did lose that, but I, yeah, okay. for the new one, yeah. yeah <laughs> Sorry, go- a little inside baseball yeah, there. Yeah, Google sucks. But yeah, yeah I lost sucks. lost everything from that personal email, but I have, I back up everything now. I thought Google was like this ultimate machine that you can't lose anything. That no. They, you can't reach anybody there. And they're probably either. selling your data right now too that you had on there 100%. Don't use Google, people. Don't use Google. What should they use? Well, there's a couple of solutions out there. Um, Bing doesn't isn't nearly as um, they don't sell your data. Basically, like when you do a Google search or when you use Google products, more specifically, everything on that computer gets pulled. Your interests, everything you download, your emails, everything is taken and harvested and sold to advertisers. Um, there's another one called DuckDuckGo. Yeah, that you can use that doesn't do any of that. But also, um, sorry, I was kind of belching there because I got a beer. Um, the other thing was, <clears throat> um, like during COVID, I would try to look up studies and look up things for you know. At the time, my son wanted to get a vaccine. He's like thirteen. I was like, Ah, oh, buddy, I don't think you should be getting a vaccine. Like, we don't know what these things do or don't do. And I had just gotten mine. I was in the military, so I was required to get it. Um, not required. I was, it was like heavily like, yeah, get this thing. Um, and I had heard something about a nurse in West Virginia near there or something, something along these lines where she'd gotten it and then had died from like some kind of heart swelling thing, like the next day or two after, you know, something really. So I was looking up all this information and I couldn't find it in Google. No matter what I did, I couldn't find it. I keep looking through the search engine, couldn't find it. And I went to a different search engine and it was right there. I found the article, found the new stuff right away. Um, but then also just all the forensics. There's a lot there. To, yeah. I could, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on Google and what they, and how they, what they do with your business email, what they do with your personal email. They comb your stuff. They sell all your information. So if you have like receipts in your email, like say you buy like a Maven Optic, um, if another company is paying to advertise optic stuff they'll scrub your email and they start serving you up optic stuff in certain places the pixels will listen to your conversations google pixels it's all well that's i mean that's like when we're uh like you say if i were to tell you something about a certain product or anything i don't even have to search it and then all of a sudden ads are fed to me yeah it's 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 wacky it's too much yes it is but uh, yeah it's it is it is kind of crazy but now that you're 
saying these things on the podcast. Now Google's going to scrape the transcript of this and push it down so no one gets to hear the episode. They don't care about your podcast. They don't care. No, I was just joking. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They the, care. Everybody cares. Everybody cares. <laughs> yeah, no. Absolutely. Oh, um, but, anyway. But anyways, back to- Anything uh, but deer hunting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but anyways, Bill, so- for anyone that doesn't know, Bill Thompson, Spartan Forge, uh, founder of Spartan Forge. Not going to go into the whole background of of that portion right now, but uh, uh, Bill's been on the podcast quite a few. This is my fourth time. time. I, I think you've been on here like six or seven times. But we, when we look, oh. when we looked back, though, it was only one time that it was just me and you, which was surprising. Right. Otherwise, it's like you know, with other groups of people, veterans hunts. That type of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So, or when the Seek One guys were out, we did a podcast. I, I wasn't on that one, though, was I? Yeah, you wasn't were, I just in the background? No, I don't think I was in that one. You were on one of the Seek One ones from the um, last year. We did the retreat. Oh, that's yes. That yeah, one. you were on that one and everything, or in the the first vets hunt. I think you were on that one a little bit too. I don't remember, but you've been on quite a bit, but never not much one on one. And I kind of wanted to start. Um, kind of wanted to start this kind of from the background. The idea came from my dad because he's like, I want to hear more about, you know, Bill's background and kind of how he got involved with it and building the app and having that idea. And I've looked and you've been on a lot of podcasts, but there hasn't been a whole lot of in-depth stuff to to talk to on that. Would you agree or? Yeah, I don't think I talk that a lot. Um, I was raised by my grandfather. We kind of talked about this today and I always think about him whenever people ask me to talk about myself because he was always kind of like, a child, he was born, you know, born in the early thirties on my mom's side and he would just obliterate me if I talked about myself. <laughs> I just thought it was really rude to talk about yourself. Yeah. Let other people talk about themselves. And that's kind of how I, I talk, I speak a lot. I talk a lot, but I generally am trying to talk about other things other than myself. So I actually get really uncomfortable when people want me to talk about myself. I feel like my grandfather, like over my shoulder right now, he's getting ready to smack the back of my head. <laughs> Bo is much more interesting than you. Shut your mouth. No, that's, that's not true. <laughs> Seems true. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. How would you, where would you like me to start? Or what specifically, um, are, or, uh, more, more for the mountain man, Joe, like, what was he thinking? Like, where? Uh, he kind of wanted to hear, like, even kind of your background on, you know, getting in the military and the route that you went in the military. And maybe this even starts beforehand about kind of, you know, how oh, So you we're going up. way back. Yeah. I, I've I, never done this before. Yeah. I want to I wanna hear that because I oh, think man. I'll, I'll, I'll bring questions out of it. But Well, I mean, <clears throat> um, I, I guess for me, I, and I think a lot of... Well, there's actually a great book about this, um, and I can't recall the name of it right now. I think it's called, like, A Hunter in a Farmer's World, I think is what it's called. And But it kind of described me perfectly because the, the, the premise of this book, at least as I remember it, like five or six years ago when I read it, um, was basically that there are, like, a couple different types of people. And I don't agree with all of this, but it seemed to work for me. But essentially there's, like – People that are really good at, you know, taking instruction and doing things and excelling in like structures and systems and moving up like either whether that's in school, because like the school system was built on like a Prussian model, which which is for fact was made for factory workers. So that's why we all sit in desks in rows, there's teachers in the front of the room, why there are bells 
to start and send and, and things because that's how a factory works. Like the launch schedule, all of that was like we want good factory workers. And that's what our school system is based on. <clears throat> and a lot of people, the majority of women and um, and a subset of men do really well in that um, area. I am not one of those people. <laughs> I didn't do well in it at all. And you and I were talking about it at lunch today. Um, <clears throat> you know, I get calls from my son's teachers um, about him getting in trouble in school for, you know, nothing bad, but just talking out of turn, you know, seeking attention, challenging authority, in all of the same similar ways that I did, and um, so when I in the in the in the in the classroom, I would get in trouble for you know the same stuff. Maybe fighting every once in a while, but everyone pretty much fought, at least for me growing up. I don't know if it was like that for you growing up. Yeah, but now a fight is like a big deal. A zombie apocalypse is broken out or something, or your child is just totally acting out of turn. And I remember I had this teacher named Oscar Byron who made us finish fights. <laughs> Like, if you got into a fight or he saw someone being dirty in a fight, he like, everyone stay out of it, let him finish. And then we get, of course, get in trouble after. Yeah. But it, we finished it. So anyway, I didn't fit well in that model. And people would teach me, people were teaching me to do things. And I remember thinking, like, what do I need this for? Like, this is, all I saw my father doing was farming when I was really young and then building things. He was, did like, he was a mechanical engineer and he built stuff. Um, and he had built a, uh, essentially he made a lot of his money early on taking apart old railroad, decommissioned railroads. So he had built like a truck that could go along on the railroad and pick up the railroad and take part, take it apart. Made a lot of money with that, doing that with my uncle for many years. And, uh, that's all I saw people doing farm work in that. And all, all I thought was, I don't need to know anything about Emily Dickinson or poetry or, Math, even though, you know, math, it's got its utility there, but <clears throat> none of these things seemed applicable to me and it didn't interest me. What did interest me was making fun of people and talking out of turn and getting in trouble and causing fights. And, um, I, I, I digress, but for the, f- the story, but basically the, the, the point of the book was we, these people are more like your, are evolute from an evolutionary perspective, have like an, a, a seeking circuit where they want to go out and do things and they don't fit well into these structures about how we educate people and all of those types of things. And what they want to do is go out and challenge things and, and, and seek and figure things out hands on. And that's how they learn. Like there needs to be an application for the knowledge. Um, but then once you, there's an application for the knowledge, those are the people that become your successful general officers. They become successful military people. They become successful hunters. They become successful um, in business. Whenever, whatever they figure out what that motivating thing is. And then, so you can think about it this way. A kid's told like, in my case, I'll just use my story. Um, my mother had gotten me like a crystal controlled radio. It's either my mother or a friend of the family. I don't remember. It was a crystal controlled radio where, that you could tune in and listen to you could hear radio stations. You could hear atmospheric bounce. You could hear all kinds of stuff on it. Um, and I, you had to put it together. And it had like a, a coil and there was the crystal. And there's you've probably seen them before. They don't require batteries. They've got like a little earpiece that's on a string you yeah. stick in your ear. Yeah. Um, that fascinated me. Like that just grabbed me. I was like, what is this thing? And like I remember one night I was hearing like Vietnamese or something like that on it or some Asian language that I didn't recognize. And... I was like, what is, how is this possible? Like, what is happening right now? Like, how am I hearing this? What, what's going on? And I went and got 
went to the library and started reading encyclopedias about radios and how radio frequency worked and how messages were sent and how encryption works and quadrature amplitude modulation and all of these different ways that radio signals are modulated or how intelligence is added to these signals. And like, that was the first time these things really interested me. And it, it kind of, I did that stuff in the background and I got into computers in the background, but school is just a place where I went to like, because I was told to, and none of the teachers like told me, Hey, you know, you could get a lot better at doing these things that you really enjoy. If you understand these kind of core competencies surrounding mathematics and you know all of that stuff and um <clears throat> it wasn't until i was in the military that i i had kind of found there was an application for this stuff and then i couldn't be stopped like i was spending all of my time absorbing this information and and then when when the military told me i could use these school these skills to kill bad guys and break things i was like i was insatiable i couldn't be stopped like i was reading all the time i was learning as much as i could um, and that was the kind of the premise of this book is there are these people out there that aren't going to fit this narrative and society is going to reject them and punish them and beat them into submission. These people end up being your businessmen, your CEOs, your general officers, your people who go out and change the world. Um, and I'm not saying I'm one of those guys cause I'm certainly not, but what our society doesn't account for is that predisposition in young men. Um, and they're often rejected by the school system or even turned into something worse because we're not recognizing how these people tick and we're kind of losing opportunities for them and for society because these people end up being like the Elon Musk's like when you read like the, his story and his famous general officers, like they all have the same story. Yeah. Like I didn't fit in. This didn't work for me. I had a lot of energy. People said I had ADD or ADHD and I couldn't concentrate and I just wanted to go out and do things. And then when I found out what I loved, it just sucked me right in and there's nothing else I could do. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, my background and then going into the military for me, it was getting into what you would call like ethical hacking, um, signals, intelligence operations, where you are, you know, doing stuff with enemy networks to, um, human intelligence, um, that collection and the technical portion that enables that type of stuff. Um, all, all of a sudden technology had an application in a place where I wanted to affect change and it, it just couldn't be stopped. And that's to this day, it's still, it's no problem for me to put in like a 15 hour day. Yeah. I can just, once I sink my teeth into something that I'm really into, I really want to do, um, I, I can't be stopped. So that's kind of my whole, that's that background there. Well, and, and I think I, I like that you talked about like kind of those, character traits that that you're discussing there because it reminds me 100% going back to which you met him my buddy Michael that I went to one of my best friends that I went to high school with went to college with we go on hunts together high school he was considered a bad kid you mm -hmm. know he was always getting in fights he was just always causing trouble you know seeking attention in the classroom but he's one of the most intelligent people that I know but it was when and things that he was interested in and like not and you know he was kind of told I might have it a little bit wrong, but that he wasn't really going to amount to anything. They, I remember they were told my parents to keep me away from him as a kid because, you know, that type of deal. Yeah. And, and now he's doing really well for himself. And when he finds something that, that, you know, he's interested in and applies, it's like, there's no end to it. And he's, and it's just like, I've seen that in other people across the board, even my brother, Kurt, like Kurt, 
was never great at school, but there, he did get recognized as like in the gifted programs because he was super into the things that he was into. But regular school, he was just like, "Why do I need this?" sort of deal. Yeah. But then, like you know, see see how he is with the gunsmithing and some of the other stuff that he gets like totally into, and it's just like just goes full bore. Yeah, we don't serve those kids well, and um, like like we need to figure out a way. School still doesn't do well there. I actually got into an argument with one of my kids' school board. I called the school board about some stuff. Essentially, my son and we were going to school in the morning. <clears throat> I was dropping him at school, and he said he really had a bad headache. I gave him two Tylenol. I gave him two Tylenol and sent him into school and said, well, take two now and take two with you. Take him at lunch or whatever. The teacher somehow found out he had these two Tylenol in his pocket. He got in-school suspension for two days. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Yeah, it's like a policy in West Virginia that, you know, any pills in school that aren't, you know, prescribed by a doctor can't be in the school. And I was talking to the school board teacher about it. I'm like, you know, the goal here is to learn, correct? Like, that's what we're trying to do. Putting him in school suspension because his father, because he was following orders from his father to carry these two pills. And it's not like he had oxycodone. It was time. Yeah. Um, And they're like, well, these are the rules and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's a whole, whole lot bigger discussion. But all I'm saying is you're just, when you do that to that type of kid you're just showing him that the system is is too it's too stone it doesn't move there's there's no updating of it and if you step out of line even if you're being doing what you're told by your father you're going to get crushed and um that just doesn't serve kids well these days so i was one of those kids certainly one of those kids especially growing up without a father and um <clears throat> the military First, you know, it would tire me out in the morning, which I think is another thing that young men need is, you know, two hours of hard physical activity in the morning. So they, if you want them to sit still for seven hours and learn, they can do that. And another thing they're doing is ruining recesses or getting rid of them or shortening them and, and no physical activities and no, you know, PT. They need to PT the crap out of these kids and then put them in school. And um, when I joined the Army, it was, you know, two hours of running in the morning or six hours on Sundays and road marching and you know, by the time I got to work that, you know, all of the 
distracting demons in me were <laughs> quelled for the day and I could sit and concentrate and learn something. So um, that's how I got into, you know, signals intelligence and, and, and the technical side of soldiering, um, which showed me that not only that could affect operations and affect the way that, you know, I would feed the intelligence cycle for like a combatant commander, but that I could do it at scale. Like I could help a lot of people and do a lot of things at one time, um, in these networks and, and kind of affect change. And it, it's, um, it, it, I can tie a string from that all the way to Spartan Forge. Um, and what I'm doing here today, it's the same, it's the same thing. I was so nervous. So, um, I was so apprehensive and, or, or anxious about getting out of the military. Cause I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm never going to have this kind of sense of meaning. There's not going to be any of these things waiting for me when I get out. I was really concerned that I, uh, was going to be one of those classic cases of guys that get out of the military and just, you know, become alcoholics or, you know, <laughs> beats up on somebody they shouldn't or does something wrong or whatever, because they ha were part of a tribe. They had meaning, they had purpose, everything that they're doing had intention behind it. And there was a goal and, um, then you just get thrust into the world and now you're just, you know, working a nine to five and you're, you know, doing it for a boss or whatever. And I was so anxious about that. So <clears throat> when the opportunity for Spartan Forge, um, kind of, well, didn't present itself at once over time started to present itself. I thought, okay, I'll at least be able to do something where I can pour my creative energy and I can pour myself and my soul into and know that I'm still doing something that I love for people, the community, this community, this hunting community that I love. And, and for me, it's been just a total blessing. Yeah. And, and, and explain a little bit about like the idea with Spartan Forge. Cause if anyone like, you know, found out about it or came into it in the last year, year and a half, two years, they see the mapping side of it. As, and that wasn't the forefront of it. I I knew still but, isn't. Yeah, I know. But like, I, I guess I guess explain that that portion. Yeah. So again, I was an intelligence officer in the military, and an intelligence officer, the the primary job. Well, there's many, but if you were to kind of su summarize it, um, or the main thrust of it is to answer the questions. You know, the the military commanders will come up with intelligence requirements, questions that they want to answer about the area that they're operating in. <clears throat> because they have a, a suggested end state, whether it's killing bad guys or building wells and providing medical assistance or stabilizing a country or building a um, insurgent force, whatever it is, there are questions that have to get answered. And it's the job of the, of the military intelligence officer and the military intelligence enlisted guys to answer the questions for that combatant commander. Um, and <clears throat> that the presentation of that data is usually in there's a couple of ways that gets presented, but one of them or the more, one of the more slick ways is like what's called a common operating picture, which kind of just gives you a snapshot, a real time snapshot of what's going on in your area of responsibility. And, and it's done in the context of what are the commander's intelligence requirements. So for hunters, Spartan Forge really is the, the main thrust of it is it's a machine learning company that I want to present all of the data necessary within the context of white tailed first white tailed deer hunting and now we're expanding you know going into next year um we're, we're kind of moving west and making partnerships with company to take on more of a western flavor which has always been the intent but i want to start with white tails a eh? because white tails are where i you know i made my it's what i've done it's what i'll always do white tails are my primary um animal that i hunt um 
so I started there, but we, I always wanted to move it into these other places. But we, what we did with Spartan Forge was we wanted this machine learning enabled um, intel- program that met the intelligence requirements for a whitetail hunter and presented it in a way that was palatable. So for hunters, the planning and the preparation and the execution, those th- the three phases of that do revolve around maps. Maps obviously need to get a play in there. But the the machine learning part portion of it, um, and and w- which we can get into later, but then the scouting portion and the state by state intel and the rut dates and the browse and the food and all of that other th- all of those other things. When I was planning hunts and I was meticulous in planning hunts, just as I was um, doing intelligence operations in the army, was you know, that specified end goal and then isolating all of the criteria that surround that end goal and then understanding the variables that play into those criterion and then formulating a plan around that. And for me, that was like six or seven or eight different applications and data repositories and weather channels and and historical weather stuff. And I would go on and, you know, FAA, I was looking at historical weather patterns. I was looking at buck to doe ratios. I was looking at what browse and what area. Um, the historical crop rotations, I would go into all of this stuff to try to build a picture for myself of how I can, with my limited amount of time that I had, go out and still be effective hunting. So Spartan Forge has got that same ethos. When you go inside of there, you can look up historical winds, you can look up historical imagery, you can look up current imagery. You know, like 45% of the U.S. has really got really current imagery that we're expanding. There's journaling with historical weather there's um, state by state and county by county, you know, rut peak, peak secondary rut dates. Um, for most of the U.S., we have buck to doe ratios, buck populations, doe populations, overall deer herd health, um, popular hunting spots, um, types of browse that the deer naturally forage on in the areas, and wh- what it looks like, and pictures of it. So all of it's all organized in there, and we're expanding more as we go forward with these other partnerships that we're, we're putting together um, to kind of try to present an all-encompassing application that really, the, the saying is soup to nuts, but basically it's like from the appetizer to the dessert, um, that full spectrum, we want to be able to answer all of the questions for the, for the hunter. We're not only white-tailed deer anymore now as we move west for other hunters as well. Uh, and kind of be that one-stop shop, but then also present it in a way <clears throat> that's been intelligently designed and is, is lowers the amount of interaction necessary in order to get the, what you want as a product from the application. And you can basically be as shallow and just drop pins as you want with it, or you can get super deep into, you know, historical winds in the area, the most popular hunting spots, peak and secondary rut what are the natural food sources in the area uh, what's the historical imagery look like what's the buck to doe ratio you can get really down a lot of rabbit holes yeah. so the to answer your question it's a planning application really yeah mapping just happens to be at the center of it i always make the analogy it's kind of like calling a tesla a car it's like it's car but it's also 25 cameras on it and a huge heads up display with some of the most sophisticated neural networks and artificial intelligence powering it um, it can drive itself. It's not really a car anymore. It's something else. Yeah. Uh, it just looks like a car. It's just, that's the category we use for it, but really it's, it's more accurately a supercomputer. Well, yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because like, I even feel like that all of us could do a better job from the ones that are on the internals of 
the company or like helping with, you know, testing and stuff of talking about some of those other features. We, we put a lot of emphasis on the mapping because that's just it's easily kinda, understood. It's easily understood, but there's also like, like that the browse data and stuff that's so helpful so inside the intel tab on the spartan forge app wherever you're at like whatever state you're in you can see what type of browse the deer prefer and particular times a year and they have that stuff in there and the state data and and all the information about the populations and the harvest data and all that different stuff is in there it's all in in one location yeah and i mean last year well i was i was part of the team helping get that updated Yep. data and so yep. i got to see the insides of it and how much work that goes into it and there's mm-hmm. so much that uh that you know just really scratching the surface on it even from like from a marketing perspective or like telling the end consumer what's available there there's there's so much there's so much within it and the tool what i what i like to think about spartan forge is the tool can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be and yeah. when i maybe complicated isn't the right word but like you can get as much you can get complex with it complex you can yeah. get in the weeds and really learn as much as you possibly want for people like me and you that are like super detailed and love just learning and getting that kind of stuff from it but i remember i'm just going to uh, I'll talk back a little bit when you first called me. So I believe Gretz, Greg Litzinger was the one that put introduced you. Introduced us. Yeah, introduced us. And you sent me a message and you're like, hey, I want to talk to you about, you know, this app or this program I got going on. I'm like, oh, who the hell is this guy? We'll see. You know, yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah, he called me and we, we talked on the phone for over an hour about yeah. deer hunting and just went through it. And I'm like, holy yeah. cow, this is really cool. And at that point, there was no plans for maps. Right. And no, None at all. And maybe I'm allowed or not allowed to say this, but I'll, I'll say it very generally, but you're thinking about kind of going with another application and integrating Spartan Forge's data within that. And it didn't necessarily work out. And yeah. you yeah. called me one day and was like, Hey Bo, yeah. I'm going to build my own maps. I'm going to build a map. I said, well, this is going to make it super complicated <laughs> for me, Bill. <laughs> yeah. As, um, we're working with uh, another mapping application. And like, I, I got to know you at that point. You actually drove to my house two or three or up to my area to meet with me two or three times yeah. to talk with me. And I was just like, I don't know why, but I trust this guy. And I think he's going to build something. I don't know that's why either, but I'm glad he did something that's incredible. And, and, and you're like, and you, and what, what really got me to is like, you're like, I want you to help with like giving me your feedback as far as being the hunter using it. Let's build this around the people that are doing the things in the woods and put together a team of everybody. That's just incredible group of people that have, you know, get, you know, we're not the ones actually building the app, but we've been, you're informing all, it. Yeah. All in, involved in it. And I think that, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take a leap of faith here and, and trust and go with it. And I'm really glad that I did because it's, it's exciting to see how far it's come in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. I mean, we launched the, we, we left beta last November. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a little over a year. Yeah. So seems like it's been seven years. Yeah. We launched last year, November. <laughs> we were in beta last year, September. I didn't realize that. It's that short. Yeah. Yeah. It's been no time whatsoever. Yeah. Feels like it's been 12 years, doesn't it? Yes, it Feels does. like I've known you for a long time, which is a good thing. I mean, I really loved your work and I've told you this many times and I was a big fan of your podcast um, long before. I, I've, I've, I know I've probably said it. I don't know if I said it on a podcast or not, but one of my bar none favorite podcasts of all time was like one of the first ones you did with your dad. 
Is that like what, 2019 or 2018 or something 2019, like that? 2019, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe that might have been right when we started talking or it was right after yeah. or something like that. Um, your, your, your father's style scrape hunting is, you know, or at least one of the things that he does hunting scrapes. It was something that I quite enjoy doing as well. Um, but then your podcast itself and the things that you went into and kind of the more, I'll call it the more technical approach to understanding the woods. And cause a lot, there's people who are hyper successful, who I like a lot, who in, employ what I would call a less technical approach. Like John, I would say Johnny yeah. Stewart, um, who's, you know, one of the best hunters that I know. Um, he goes a lot off a of feel. Yeah. He'll say like a lot of times, like, I just feel like this is the right area. Um, and obviously that works for him and he's probably right. And he's probably in tune in a way that I'm not. Um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, other guys, and you can't really teach people that either. You know what I'm saying? Like Johnny's insane. Like I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. I was shed antler hunting last year with him and my son. And he's like, Oh, I smell deer, Bill. I smell deer. And I'm like, what do you mean you smell deer? He's like, no, I can smell it. I smell deer right now. And like, I've smelled a running buck before. Like I've actually been walking through the woods and been like, wow, I think a running buck just went through yeah. here. Like, have you smelled that? Oh before? yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But he smelled deer and this was like March and we walk like 50 or 70 more yards and a pile of does just stand up and take off. And, um, I, I'm not even convinced he actually smelled those deer as much as he sensed them. But that, that, that is not for me. You can't teach someone that like, that's just something you gotta be spending tons of time in the woods. Like as much someone time as someone like Johnny does your podcast, I think, um, kind of broke down. Um, things in a way, at least the way you talk about certain things in a way that I thought a guy like myself that wants to learn the how and be able to create a circumstance where they can reciprocate or reproduce the tactics that you and your dad and other guys that you have on the podcast talk about. I just always enjoyed it from the beginning. So, I mean, there was like a very short list of guys that I wanted to get on, um, from the very beginning to talk about these things. And it was like you and Garrett. Were like my top, you know, two. Yeah. Really that I was like, if I can get those two guys on, I feel because <clears throat> A, you're trustworthy, hardworking, meticulous. Um, and that's kind of the ethos that I try to incorporate into the company as well as everything you need, well-designed, well-thought-through, nothing is done half-ass. And those are the types of guys that I'm trying to bring into the company, which I think we've been pretty successful for. Um, or successful with. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been great. And yes, um, I was, my plan was to always be stuck in the artificial intelligence realm in hunting. Cause I have many other projects that I want to do and that I have written down and thought through just in the AI realm outside of hunting. Um, and, uh, you know, when we were working together, my intent was to just keep making the machine learning models, um, and just focus on that. But then it became apparent to me that either the, the people that I had two companies that I could have worked with, um, one of them was going to pay me like next, next to nothing to do the work, which was fine, but I would have needed to have alternate sources of income. Um, and then the other one was going to pay me quite a bit of money, um, but they wanted to like sell my life up and have, you know, I basically was me working for them for the next five years and no one else no matter what. And, and then, you know, I start getting in and I won't, I don't name these things out specifically or whatever, because I don't want to be one of those guys who says, use my app because the other apps, um, have bad guys involved with them. Like choose the best app for you. 
But when I looked at like the investors and some of these other applications and the people that were working with them at the very high levels and where the money went, a lot of these people weren't, you know, people I would want to associate with either. And then I start getting these messages when it seemed like even for a moment I wasn't going to work with them. Like, oh, you don't want to build a mapping app. Like it's such a pain in the ass. You don't want to do that. Like focus on the artificial intelligence, focus on the neural networks, focus on the machine learning. Um, and I was on this phone call with this guy. He said it like three or four times. And by the like fourth time he said it, I was like, you know what? I think I want to build a map. <laughs> I think that's exactly what I'm going to do because, um, the, as I told, I think I told it to you when I called you and said, look, dude, the mapping is not the difficult part. I can do the mapping. I'll do the mapping. Um, and we've done a ton, I think in this year. Yeah. Um, and we're doing a lot more. Um, but the, in the, the difficult stuff, um, we're trying to get some of it out here before this next hunting season with the wear feature. And, you know, the first step in the wear feature is this LIDAR, um, layer that we're just building out now and releasing because you need this LIDAR layer to, to present the wear feature in a way that makes sense. So you can visually see, like if you see a bunch of cuts or you see a bunch of, um, uh, trails coming together or whatever, if it were just being presented to you on an aerial map or a topo map, you'd be like, how do I know this is right? Like what's going on here? But when it gets presented on something like a LIDAR map, it, it will make a lot more sense. Like if you switch back and forth between like an aerial map and a LIDAR map, you'll be like, okay, I understand why the network is saying, check this place out. So yeah, I, my focus was always to be in the machine learning side, the planning side, the intelligence side. And then I thought I'll go and make these other mapping companies better. Like I know what they need to do. Um, but it, I think it worked out the best way it could have. Yeah. I, I really do. No, I, I, I would definitely agree. But I remember I was, I, I don't want to know if, I don't know if afraid was the, the right term, but when you called me and said you were doing that, you're like, that's the easy part. And I'm like, who's this guy? Like, what's he thinking? Like he thinks he's just, is just going to build this? And it's just like this easy thing. But what I've learned, and I don't mean to make like a lot of these podcasts recently, like entrepreneur based, but just like what I've learned about people that are successful in building businesses and that are smart in anything is that they, they look at something and see there's a solution and commit to it without really figuring out the how, but they will figure it out. Yeah. And that's where like, sometimes you get people that, are very analytical and they probably could do it, but they, they look too much into the how up front and then they talk themselves out of it because of all the things that could go wrong. Or they get analysis by paralysis by analysis. Yes. And it's, it's even like kind of planning, planning deer hunting. hundred percent. It's like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go out there and do it and I'll figure it out when I get out there versus I'm going to sit here and look at these maps for the next three days and then not be able to make a decision. I was there. I've been there. I've been like where I'm walking into the woods and I'm like, I don't know where I want to sit this morning. Yeah. I have too many options. I don't know what I want to do. And then you end up making a mistake or just choosing a bad set or doing something. And then you look back on it, you do the post hoc and you're like, that was stupid. What was I thinking? Um, yeah. I mean, so I had looked into the mapping stuff and came to the conclusion that there were enough open libraries. There are enough, there, this had been done enough times by other people, both academics and in the, and in business that, None of this was beyond the realm of possible for me or, or for my team. Like my team's better than I am, by the way, the guys that work on Spartan Forge. My strength's never been, I'm not that great at coding. I'm not that great at, um, I was not that great at being a soldier. I was not that great at being, um, an academic. 
I'm not that great at being a philosopher. <laughs> These are all things that I try to be involved myself in constantly and try to update myself and my systems and my belief structures and how I operate in the world. But I feel like I find the best people at these things and I peel off from them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that person can be more valuable than the other people because it's one thing to do something, but then it's another thing to assemble a team and then apply it. And the application of it a lot of times can be more difficult than the theory behind it. Um, and, and, and it's right. Like I would much rather put the plane together as I'm flying versus have it on the ground and just keep tweaking and changing things. And, um, it's like, let's just try to get it in the air and let's yeah. see if we can get it in the air. Um, and I, and I think that, I think that, um, well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with a buddy's Hoy RX eight. The smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other it provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. You can do it both ways. But I guess for guys like us, I think the, the former is more attractive than the latter, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I would rather just get, get after it and see what it could be, what's the art of possible and fail quick. I think that's another thing that people are afraid of doing. Um, anytime I go down an endeavor, I want to fail quickly. I either want to finish or fail quickly. And I want to fail quickly because I can move on to the next thing. And it's not so much that I'm smart. It's that I failed a bunch at doing things. and I know what the right path is now. Um, and it was even the case when I was building applications in the military and doing a lot of the same stuff I'm doing for Spartan Forge, or I had to figure out this is not the right library. This is not the right algorithm. This is not the right, this is not the right framework. This is not the right architecture for this phone device. This is not, so figure those things out, fail quickly, and then get down the right road and, and do the right thing um, based on all of that experience. Because um, you can look at failures as failures, or you can look at them as opportunities to, um, to learn and to do it better next time. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And also, you know, coming back to the paralysis by analysis, like 
I, I do struggle with that because I'm like on the, I'm on like the board, the cusp of like, I like doing really hard research into things. Yeah, and there's some areas in my life that I've learned that I, I overthink things and I struggle making decisions on that. And then there's other areas where I, I feel like I'm a little bit better with a deer hunting. I can go up in the air. There's some days I definitely do too much analysis and I can't make a decision. But what I, one of the things I've recognized that I'm that way. So what I do is like, I'll do a ton of research on map reading, scouting, looking at trail camera data, all this stuff. And then you have all this information there. And then like, that's when I build the hunt plans out. And I'm like, okay, here are my top five areas. Here are the top five spots within these. They work best off these winds, these weather conditions, this time of year. And I have that list. So when I'm like struggling or like, I don't know what to do. It's like, okay, go in the order of operations. What makes sense for this that's on paper? Go do that, you yeah. know, because it, it helps you make that decision when your mind and can't commit do to it, it. and yeah. commit to it. Yeah. And when I do that and anything, whether it's, you know, Western hunting or whitetail hunting, I feel like I operate better when I give myself that plan and it, it's, it's reading it out there in, in front of me. Now it's, it's still, it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. but that's one of the things that's helped me kind of get over that, that uh, basis with it. But like, I don't know why though, but I'm kind of different when it comes to like business and like even with east meets west like i was just like oh i'm gonna do this full time someday or i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and like i really didn't have all the ducks in a row to figure out how to do that i just had it in my head and then just kind of figured out those things as i went yeah i mean but with a lot of those things too though you won't you'll either paralyze yourself and not do anything or you'll just you just recognize and accept that you're not going to figure this out till you're doing it yeah like especially with business um, and I rely on my gut a lot in business. Like I just trust my stomach. When someone says, when my stomach says something's good about something, I'll go with it. If it says it doesn't feel good, I will, you know, either go to one of my co-founders or to the pro staff and ask them and kind of try to make an informed decision w- with everybody. But the other thing is, and this, I guess applies to my meticulous nature is if you were to just set, if you, if I were to just walk into the woods, um, and, choose a spot and be like, this looks good. Like say I'm down the Shawnee or somewhere where I'm just digitally scouting and I just decide to walk in somewhere. Right. I'm just, this is where this looks fine. I'm going to go in your hunt and I kill like a 170. That to me, I'll get like, I'll have like the whole experience. Like I'll feel great. This will be awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I can't believe I'm so lucky that happened because I've done that. I've done that a couple times where I've just lucked out and killed deer. It does not do near as much for me as putting a plan together and isolating variables and doing that variable analysis and then choosing when the time is right and then watching the deer read the script or the buck read the script or watching it come in and like, I thought it was going to do this and waited for this day and I planned and that's when the adrenaline for me goes through the roof. So I'm I'm with you in that way that yeah. there's a there's a give and take. Yeah, 100%. And and I think one of the things I've heard you say this many times about Spartan Forage and a lot of the reasoning behind doing it is like, okay, everybody's lives are really busy and Spartan Forage isn't a scouting replacement tool. It's an enhancement to be able to take advantage of the time that you have available, whether that's looking at the Intel tab and looking at the deer predictions like, okay, I have 
a week of vacation I could take off of work. Maybe I'm going to take a day off on this Tuesday because, okay, it's showing full range movement. Yeah. got some cold weather. It looks good. Yeah. Barometric pressure is where I like it to be, all that stuff, rather than taking that whole week off. And now maybe next week I take off a Wednesday, Thursday because this looks good. And helping people take advantage it does not replace scouting i mean even all these tools we'll talk about here later in the podcast some of the lidar stuff blue force tracker none of that stuff is meant to replace scouting it's trying to help you be the most efficient if you have a weekend to go scout a place or be able to do that doesn't replace woodsmanship whatsoever yeah all of this is trade-off and costs and you know for people that are married with kids um and they have in a full-time job or they're running their own business they need to manage their schedule um they can't just go and walk fifteen thousand acres and try to learn as much as I can about that land. Like it's, it's, it's half hour here, half hour there doing digital scouting and marking things on a map and thinking about it. Um, and then developing a plan for scouting, which I think, you know, if there are two things people ask me and I'm not an expert hunter by no means, I think I, again, surround myself and find people who are really good hunters and hang out around them and try to learn from them. And the two things, um, that those people seem to do that other people who aren't as successful, um, what they seem to do more is the more informed and precise scouting and and really putting thought into scouting and not just going and walking in the woods, but they're developing a plan. And then the journaling is like writing things down and recording hunts or talking about it, whether you're using that inside of the application or they keep their own journal or they're just writing notes in their phone afterwards. Um, and I don't even know why that is like, obviously you're learning from your past mistakes and you're thinking about it, or maybe it's just because you have that people have that meticulous nature and they're really putting themselves into it. Then they tend to put themselves into everything else just as much. Therefore they're more successful just because they're being hyper vigilant and hyper, um, uh, in documenting everything. So, but those two things correlate, it seems like for me with every deer hunter, you know, pulling their trail cameras, writing stuff down, knowing a lot of guys will just throw a deer camera out with some corn and look at the pictures. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying you need to put, be an expert in anything, but if you're expecting expert level results, that's not the way to scout, right? Like you can get lucky doing that. Don't get me wrong. And if you do more power to you, but if you're kind of throwing your hands up there and wondering why am I not seeing big deer? Why am I not being super successful? I would say inform like listen to some of your podcasts and other guys like you inform your scouting and then and then document don't waste any time while you're in the woods and think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and then do that diary that after action report and learn from your mistakes and why you know you may you may not have seen anything or versus seeing something and you're in the wrong spot or whatever yeah and and i and it's funny you say that because i i keep going back to thinking i mean most of the things that I've learned have come from my dad and learning, and he's very meticulous on documenting and in more of an old school way. I don't know if he's using the journaling feature right. in the app yet, but yeah. we'll, we'll get him there. <laughs> um, which, which is funny. Actually, I was talking to him about the other day. I'm pretty sure if you probably looked up some of the data, he probably uses the app more than anybody. I would have put it more than anybody in the country, to be honest. Like oh, he, really? He's, he's in the woods so much. My dad I just not loves, looked into that, but loves, I see. loves scouting, but he, um, Cause he's always coming to me with ideas and stuff. And I share those with you. And he, he eventually wants to sit down with you. Cause he has a way of explaining things that I'm not good at understanding sometimes. And you might be able to pull I'd love out to of hear him. that, but he's got journals hidden around here somewhere of 
20 years of deer hunting every time he hunted, writing down that stuff. Precisely. But I think he probably hid them after I threatened to uh, publish them on our other podcast. So I'm sure they're gone <laughs> by now. It'd but- be hilarious. Like you open them up and they're all wrote, written in invisible ink <laughs> 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 well, or in code. <laughs> I learned it the other day. Uh, or it was, I don't know, when I was doing that podcast with Shirk about going through all the trail camera data and correlating that with dates and figuring out when were the best days from the last rut, my dad's like, hey, I got some data I can help share and help with the podcast. I'm like, cool. And he's like, and I'm like, yeah. And, and I'd never really paid much attention to moon stuff. I've just, that's just something I've never went down that rabbit hole. I know a lot of people believe it. My dad's like, oh, I've got 10 years of spreadsheets and, and notes and stuff that I've looked around moon data that has to go with things. I'm like, when, why did you not, why did I not hear about this? Like, why I, 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 still about have, I still have yet to go through that with him and understand it, but he's got, you know, his thoughts on that. And I'm like, you know, it's, and I think that's where I probably got my data driven, like approach to, to deer hunting is from him and seeing how that goes. But yet he's also, you know, what I would consider one of the best woodsmen that I know out in the field too, because he does spend a lot of time out there and learning it and understanding it and walking areas. And it's just, uh, I don't know, but I, I do see that trend across the board. The, I feel like though, number one exception to all of this is someone who's one of the best deer hunters that I know that doesn't use data very much as Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, he's more of an instinctual guy. Yeah. He embodies it and it's not reproducible. It's not, it's not, um, (laughs) it's not reproducible. Like you just, I don't know what it is. I mean, but there, there are those guys, right. And they had to like, from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense that people like him had to exist. There were no pens, papers, computers. Like you had to have guys who just went off and did things based on feeling and that were successful. And I'm sure there's a reason why it works. And there's probably an evolutionary perspective on why it works, you know, um, just based off of things like scent and vision and what the ground looks like. And, you know, we, you know, the science is pretty clear that we smell things that we don't know we smell. We sense things in the air. We don't know we sense, you know, you know, there's stuff about, um, blind people there where, um, I forget how the study was organized, but it was essentially blind people. And they were able to tell with some degree of certainty, the emotion of the person behind them that was looking at them. So just somebody would stand behind them and stare at them and they would, you know, tell the person to stare angrily at this person's back of their head and then be happy on this one and be sad on this one. Um, and, but people would have to just sit there and concentrate and the people, the blind people could pick up on it and what's being communicated in the air, whether it's chemically, whether it's, you know, through smell or through sight. And there's even stuff about, um, women and who they're attracted to when they're on birth control versus when they're not on birth control. And it has to do with like your scent profile and the level of testosterone and your, and, and your genetic makeup and how similar you are genetically to other people, all changes on whether or not a woman is cycling and whether or not she likes you. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, all of that is communicated non-verbally. And that's my point. Yeah. It, you don't, a woman can't tell you why she's no more than a man can. Why are you attracted? Like so many times in life we are attracted to people we don't like. And we don't, you know, like, especially like for me and women, I can think of women who I just like, these are, these are, this is bad news, but I'm super attracted to this woman. I don't know why. And vice versa. I'm sure women can do the same thing. Um, you're, you know, we are ran by um, a faculty of emotions and um, what's, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a board of people inside of you that are pulling the strings and you're not in control. Because if you were in control, you'd do what you want to do. Like, I'm going to lose some weight this month. 
I'm not going to have any beer this month. I'm going to not make bad decisions with women this month. <laughs> like, but then you end up doing all of those things because you're ruled by other forces than yourself. And I think that's where a person like Johnny capitalizes because they're in tune with that and they listen to that very in-depthly. Um, and you just got to look at his wall. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It, there, there can be no better proof of it. It's one of my favorite things to do is walk around in the woods with him and just like sit back. I don't even say anything. I just watch him as he's talking to himself and talking to me as he's going through. And he's like, oh, that, that buck, that buck. He's, he always has that buck. Like he, buck. he knows this buck that's coming through. Buck. And he's like, this is the way he's going to move through here because I can see him. He's going to sneak right through here. And like, and it's like he he can sense how this deer is going to do it. I still think he's a deer. Like I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Almost hundred percent convinced that Johnny's a deer. Yeah, and like he he gets those those feelings on it, and you know I think there's there's a lot of that that comes from the experience that he's had, and I think what what Johnny is really like. I'm not saying like he's not good analytically, but I think he does it in a different way rather yeah. than logging it. It's just in his head and yeah. he remembers these situations. He can remember every story and every detail of a story that he's ever had related to deer hunting. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back as far and he, he, and he takes that stuff and he applies it going forward. I, I think someone like myself, I struggle with remembering some of the details all the time and I, I need like a written reminder sometimes to help do that. I'm just not as skilled not in that, in that way at all. Um, yeah, I'm not, yeah, there's, I can give you a million examples of yeah. deer hunting and outside where I just suck at that. Yep. Me too. <laughs> I'll, I'll just confuse, you know, I, it was just happening to me the other day where I, I was talking to, I was Johnny actually, and speak of the devil. I was talking to him about a hunt we were doing in North Dakota. He's like, no, Bill, that was during the veterans hunt. I'm like, Oh no, I'm pretty sure that was when we were out in North Dakota. He's like, no, no, no. I was like three months earlier. I guess you're right. <laughs> he remembers it all. So yeah, it is. It is funny. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. It's cool though, to see, you know, going back to the, the app side of it and seeing the development and we have, and having people like on the team, you're talking about surrounding yourself with these people, you know, you have the Johnnies that, that weren't really that reliant on technology, but you've, you've empowered him by giving him this app. He's freaking all in on learning it and using yeah. it and doing that kind of stuff. And then you have some of the data driven people like myself, you've got some straight killers out there. You get the Lees and the Levi's and all the yep. people that are helping build this. And we're all coming from different backgrounds. And I think that's why it is growing quickly and, 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 I guess just continually get better. And then the people internally on your team that are the ones actually doing the work, you know, from yourself and Vaughn, Jimmy and all those guys and Evan yeah. and everybody that's behind the scenes. Like it's, it's pretty cool to, to be able to see that. Yeah. We're only limited by our talent. I mean, we're, we're only really taking in people that are, I believe top tier developers and, and people who are self-motivated and driven and interested in the outcome. And those people are hard to find. Yeah. Like the most, that's the most difficult part isn't raising money. It's not the development side of the house. It's not the UI design. It's not the most difficult part is finding quality people like period. Um, we just hired another one. Yes. Maybe. If well, the, no, we did. No, I know. But I mean, like, if, I mean, maybe yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quality. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> brother. Yeah my, yeah, bro yeah. my brother, Kurt, will be working for Spartan. For yeah. On the research side, I mean, that's, again, that's something that I was doing before. Yeah. Um, And even, like, since we said we'd hire him, I'm, I'm, I've kind of detached myself from it and freed myself up in other ways because 
for like the past two years, I've had just very, very structured, like, you know, I'm waking up five thirty, six o'clock and I'm answering questions on the application, talking to users, setting up free accounts for people, working out for an hour back to the desk and I'm at the desk until three thirty, And then I go pick up my son and my daughter from school and I'm back to the desk at, you know, four o'clock and then take a break at five o'clock for dinner and then spend some time with my wife. And then I'm back at the machine until eight. And then I'm researching in the, in the evening, um, until nine thirty or 10. And then it might be one more call or talk to one of my guy Vaughn, you know, um, uh, my, my chief of operations at Spartan Forge, um, where we're trying to solve a peripheral problem on something else that we're working on. And then it was ending at like 12 or one. And now I'm finally ending at like 10 or 11. Um, just like coming up for air. Um, yeah. I'm not complaining. Like I'm doing what I, what I want to be doing in the world. I couldn't imagine another job. It's exactly what I want to be doing, but it's been like, you know, like we just talked about before, you know, the app's been out a little more than a year. It feels like it's been out for five years. Yeah. And I, I think you're, I think you're going to be happy though. I mean, I know you obviously enjoy doing this, but as you start to build a team and have people be able to help. So as you said to me earlier, get back to hunting again. Yeah. It was, it was funny because we were, we were talking and I've known you for a while, but I haven't heard, you know, a ton of hunting stories. I've heard a few from you and, and last night and today we really got in the weeds of them. And I was like, you know, you were full bore into the hunting process and you killed a lot of really good deer in some hard to hunt areas. I was committed. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 I, and I'm, that's not me saying that I didn't think you were a good hunter, but I just, we just never talked. We were always just app specific or life or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. And it's just because your focus hasn't been the hunting aspect for the last few years. And, uh, but it was funny. We were t- talking, you were showing me a video and talking about shooting this freaking giant Maryland buck. And you're like, and you're like, oh man, I just got fired up. Like, I just want to, I want to, I want to get back to it. I want to quit. I remember thinking right now, I want to quit Spartan Forge and get right back to it. <laughs> it was a death. It was like a death in the family when I, my, like when I stopped hunting, happened in about 2018 is the last time I killed a good buck. And then when I also, you know, you have to have to have priorities and you can't get stretched in too many areas. And if you're going to undertake something like starting a startup and you're going to try to build something, bootstrap it from the ground up and build something it's kind of like a decision where you have to be all in or not. And I couldn't be running Spartan Forge and be the kind of hunter that I was in 2014, 2015, 2016, or 2017, which was, you know, for me, it was scouting three or four days a week. I would wake up early in the morning. I was an officer in the military, so I didn't have to do PT with everybody else. My PT was I'd throw a rucksack on. And I'd start scouting at like 5.30 and I'd scout until like 7.45 or 8 a.m. Then I'd roll into work and I did that every day. And then I'd go scout at lunch on Fort Meade. Or, and then in the afternoon I would be coming home and I would, I would either go golfing or scouting again. And that's all I did for, I don't know, seven years, six years. And that's all I thought about were deer and trail cameras and, and getting on deer and patterning them. And all of these things that we talked about with Spartan Forge that I'm putting into it, I was just... You know, and I had like five or six years where I killed a lot of good deer. Um, cause I kind of, <clears throat> I started doing kind of cultural hunting or agricultural hunting growing up, but it was a cultural event. Like it was like, you know, once a year kind of thing and people get together and you'd see everyone cruising around town with their deer that they'd killed over the you know back of their truck or whatever. And 
it would happen for like two weeks and then it would be done. It was like 12 years ago or maybe longer. I don't really even remember anymore what year is it? It's 2023. So it would have been like 2008 is when I got into bow hunting. Like I'd gotten addicted to bow hunting. Like I'd lose my first arrow and I was, it was over. Um, and that's when I really got addicted to it and started putting myself into it. And I'd gotten like, you know, you can get away with a lot in like North Dakota. And, um, if you have access to land and, you know, you don't have to be as uber serious as you do like out, you know, big mountain, big woods country, um, and still be relatively successful. So I'd gotten to Maryland and started hunting out in Maryland and just got my teeth kicked in for like two years. Just like not seeing a damn thing. Like you don't, whatever it's like, and I'm not saying this for all of North Dakota and for all of the Midwest. So all of your Midwestern guys who are listening, I'm not insulting them. Um, all I'm saying is you can get away a lot more with being sloppy. They're around humans a lot more. They're around farmers all the time. They're used to trucks. There's agricultural lots where um, it's a block of timber and that's where the deer have to be because they can't be out in the so- so- soybean field during the day. There are constraints on where they can go and what they can do during daylight hours. And as long as you're getting in between them and the food, you're going to see deer. You're going to be successful, um, especially if you're willing to put the time in. Um and that is just not the case in mountain buck country. <laughs> it's just not at all. Like my first two years I was hunting out in Western Maryland and just tons of, tons of land. And I, I, you know, knew a little bit about scouting and, um, I would see like some big rubs and scrapes and ran some trail cameras and would see deer on them. And I was just getting skunked all the time. And I was trying to hunt it. I just wasn't learning quickly and I was trying to hunt it like a mid, like I, like I was in North Dakota or like I was in Minnesota or South Dakota. Um, which meant like, you know, get in between the food, food and the bed or sit the scrape line along this field whenever this comes up or I would gravitate to areas that were more open where I could see farther. Cause I thought if I can see farther then I'll see deer, you know what I mean? And it just might mean I'd see a doe at 300 yards away, but I was not getting into like the thick stuff. I was not, I was not, I just wasn't learning. And then it clicked for me. Let's see. That would have been like, I guess 2014 or 2015, yeah, 2014, where I started listening to podcasts and, and, and guys like yourself um, about big woods bucks and trying to understand what, you know, how to hunt a big woods buck um, and, and put it together and killed like my first really like big you know, what I would call a big woods buck was that eight pointer that I killed in that state forest in Western Maryland. That was about a 140 or something like that. But yeah, even when I killed him there and I was pulling him out that day, the hunters that were at there were like, I've hunted here for 10 years and never seen a deer like that. Um, that was a labor of love where I put it together. I knew where this deer was. I knew where he was spending time and I had, kind of put a playbook together that I decided to follow and was successful. And that was like a 15 minute adrenaline dump after I killed that deer. Like I could barely move. I almost fell off the stand <laughs> like after I killed him. Um, and it was just like, now I knew there wasn't any other way I wanted to hunt ever again. Like this, now this has to be it. And that's what got me kind of like really addicted to that style of hunting and really getting into the weeds and understanding, you know, you know, just, climbing tree stands in the off season to drop milkweed and to watch thermals, how they work in certain areas and what, you know, 
sun cover, sun, sun, sunrise and sunset times and what that means for when are you mixing thermals to when, when the thermals become stable? What time are thermals stable in this area? Like I was doing all of that kind of, kind of stuff um, and documenting it and writing it down saying, you know, in this area where I've seen this buck between this time, you know, I went in there in March, it was 51 degrees, there was no cloud cover and, you know, thermals fell until 835 and then the thermals were mixed until 915. So that told me I should not even be trying to get into this place till after 915 because he was betting in a bottom. And this is, I'm describing what was with this first mountain buck. And I just said, all right, I'm going to forget the way that I normally would do this, which in the past it would have been get in there at 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the bottom. So get in there super early, set up in the tree along a logging trail or something like that where there's a scrape. And then expect to see him around like 9:30 or 10. It's like, no, when you got in there at 5 a.m. with your flashlight and he was in that bottom and the thermals were dropping and he was going for a drink of water, he smelled you and saw you before you ever got up the tree. Yeah, he, he looked up on the hill from the bottom yeah. and he sees your headlamp climb the tree, banging that climber around. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's like, look at that asshole. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. And then I'd see some two and a half year olds and then be like, what's going on? He was in here every other day. And then, you know, that in that case, I waited. I was like, all right, I'm just going to... I don't remember who I was listening to or where I was learning it from, or I might've been reading something. I don't remember even it was 2014. And I'm trying to think of who was big then. There wasn't even really podcast really then. No, it was reading stuff. And yeah, I don't remember, but, um, but I, re- I do remember talking to a guy that, um, I had met in the hunting industry named Craig Doherty. Um, and he, he would always laugh at me when I'd talk about these things because I get fired up and I could talk to him about it for like two hours. And he's like, "Well, then just pick an idea and commit to it." So that's what I did, and it worked perfectly. Like, um, and, and then when I started collecting GPS data and looking at it, and, and then it became like getting regretful about how much time I wasted, <laughs> you know, educating all of these deer and getting into these areas the way that I did, you know. And like I now do a lot more gray light entry. Um, which would have been like, you know, younger Bill would have been like, you idiot. Yeah. You're too late already. You're being what are lazy. You doing? Yeah. You're being lazy. You're sleeping in. It's like, I actually know I'm being as quiet as I can and I'm lo- allowing the thermals to make their change and the understanding of the way that the buck's going to use this and getting up the tree a lot quieter and I'm not using a headlamp and, um, but of course there's also con- times where you need to get in there early. Like, yeah. No question. All I'm saying is once you understand the buck and you've done the time, um, you can assess the situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I talk about that. I've talked about that quite a few times. I feel like on the podcast, but I look at that, like the tops of draws, if I'm hunting the tops of draws during the rut or like, or it could be considered a deep cut that's going up and you hit the top, there's a pretty good travel area around there. Well, what you have the problem with is you can either set up below the trail or above the trail, depending what the thermals are doing, you're yeah. going to screw something up. Yeah. So like, I've learned, I'm like, okay, these areas are normally travel routes and during the rut bucks are cruising to does when they're bedded and sometimes it might take the does a little bit to bed and i think those bucks will lay down about first light kind of get some rest and then go out and check does mid-morning so it's like all right wait till the thermals are switched then go in there when thermals are coming up the hill and you know and then i don't have to come from the bottom where they might be at that time and coming up waiting for that thermal pool to come down 
or I could just come down over the top and drop straight down, not crossing any trails, climb up in the tree. It's just like, there's those little things you start to learn as you're spending so much time out there scouting and, and just having that experience. But I, I think it's so funny because, you know, with you and I'm glad you're talking about these stories because like, okay, you're, you found like a lot of the things that you're doing with Spartan Forge, like or what the whole team's doing is based around a lot of things that you've either found that were problems or things that you use to help yourself. It's like, how can I make myself more efficient Mm -hmm. as time becomes harder to get more of and you want to, you want to be more efficient with it. And it's just like, I feel like the, the best companies are usually just trying to solve their own problems. Yeah, exactly. Like identifying, well, first off, they're experts in the domain yeah. or they, or, or at least they surround themselves with experts in the domain who they listen to, which I think is our strength. Um, and then, and then understanding that you're trying to. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What, or what I really try to do with the pro staff and with guys and when I'm talking to you is is not look for a solution for you, but really understand the problem and then make, make the solution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because a lot of guys will stay – and I don't have this problem with Spartan Forge as much, but I would have the problem a lot when I was building stuff for soldiers. I still do for, with Spartan Forge, but like a guy will be like, well, just build me like a scent cone. <laughs> like I want a scent cone here. Which I, I can do that. Like I can make a scent cone. I mean we have that little blue dial over the compass, which, you know – it's it's telling you the distance of the, the way that the 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 wind, um, is going. wind is going you know wherever that little x is in the middle of the screen of that crosshair um but then so, so, but then that, that also I'll say to those people what are what do you really want well i want to know what the wind is doing in my area where i'm at right now it's like okay so that is the problem statement that doesn't necessarily mean making a scent cone there are like five or six other things that i can think of that help with that problem and let me design and develop all of those things then you make the choice we make the choice together that this is the right implementation so and i think that's something that people miss or they get past a lot of times is um they will they will suggest the answer instead of truly understanding the problem just saying well just do that and that'll be that'll be good enough and i really try to stay away from that and and really be thoughtful about the things that i'm building um and how it answers the mail for people because you try to do it in a way that works for everyone. Cause some, some guys just might, the answer just might be send cone and, and to put a bow on that, you know, we are trying to implement a wind layer. We had started doing it last year. Um, and I realized that I was kind of pulling the company in too many directions. Like we were trying to do too many things at one time. So we still have a wind layer that we've started, um, that we will be putting out here sooner or later. Um, but I decided that we needed to just, instead of doing six things slowly, let's do three things quickly and then get to the other three things. That's kind of the change that I made in the off season because, um, when we get to the one September this year, I want to be done with the app. Like it just needs to be what it is come one September. 
every feature that's in there is going to be in there. It's going to be solid. It's not, there's not going to be any crashes. There's not going to be any, it's going to work flawlessly. Then we're going to leave it to F alone until January and, and allow people to have something that is as stable as possible because stability is another thing. Um, I think in these applications that is supremely important that often gets overlooked. Um, stability and, um, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just well built. It's yeah, well built. Yeah. Well, we, serves we, up data. I mean, we talked about that before. I mean, when you're talking about feedback, you're like, okay, well, you know what, you know, what can we do that, you know, other apps aren't or whatever. I was like, just make something that's bulletproof. Yeah. Like, that's what, that's what we need. It's Hunter something. It's just going to, you know, when you open that app that it's going to work and yeah. you can rely on it and go in. Yeah. And I, and, it, and the, the hard part is it's an application on a mobile device, on an electronic device there's problems that are going to happen. It's like, how can you make it as stable as humanly possible? And, and I, I think that you've listened to that feedback. I'm not the only one I gave it, but I no. mean like that was like but. something that I thought of is an, is an important thing. And that's what anytime, like I wish people could see like the interactions that we have on a daily basis of going back and forth. Yeah. It's like, I have a whole separate phone that I have as a test phone yeah. that I run, and so do other people. But, like, anytime something's happened, I'm sending you these logs. I'm sending you to yeah. Jimmy, and you're looking at I'm like, all right, the app crash doing this. This is, And then you ask, you know, 10 more questions on what was happening, what caused that, to be able to dive into that detail yeah. and be able to try to fix it. Yeah, I mean, something as simple – and it's something I don't think people realize. The best thing about an app is you shouldn't realize when it's working really well. It's just working really well. It kind of goes without saying. But, you know, you'll be using other applications and the tiles load slowly in areas or the tiles are black in areas or things look fuzzy forever or, you know, certain aspects of it fail. And ours wasn't perfect right away either. In fact, for like the first six or seven months, um, it just takes time to build the reliability and sustainability into it to where it's good every time because you need to be able to test it on many, 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 many phones um, and then build in all of those um, those fixes. But I mean, for about the past seven months, eight months, it's been extremely stable. Um, and we're only making it more stable and we're we're doing more refactoring. We're doing more cleaning of code. Um, more unit tests are being built into the code to make sure that it's as stable as possible. And that's, you know, going to continue going as we go forward. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I've seen a giant improvement on it. And that's, and that's the other thing too, is like, that's why when we started off with the beta testing, that's why we offered it. It's such a low level. It's like, put your trust in us and you guys are beta testers yeah. to help us build this bulletproof product. But you can't do that even with, you know, 20 of us running test phones or whatever it is. You can't, you can't get all situations covered no. until you start getting it out there. Thousands and, of phones. And thousands of phones and being able to, to see that. I wish people could also see the list that I've seen, your list of ideas and what you want to do with the app. Yeah. Oh my, you could scroll for an hour and a half and not get to the bottom of it. There's so many things. Yeah. It's just like prioritize, execute, prioritize, execute, and try to try to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have this list here, and this is just one of my subset of lists of things like I have a, a tasks thing here, which I try to end by every week. <laughs> um, and then I have a new features list here. Um, and then marketing and then just general thoughts about the application um, and all of that stuff. But like I try to run through this. Ta I try to end my Sunday and get through all of these tasks. And these are just tasks that I've, it's Thursday today. 
these are tasks that I've just added. Like we were talking today about Alaska and I made sure to take a task, make sure I add Alaska data. Um, and it, 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 and then, yes, as you mentioned before, I also have the, the macro feature sets that I want to build out and the other things I want to do, which I could wish I could tell users about and get people excited about. But a lot of times, you know, other people are listening. So you want to kind of like build these things as you go, but I'm super excited. I mean, if you look at where the app was November, 2021 to November, 2022, it was a much different, much more quality product. It's just, oh, yeah. and, and I say, I always say to people when I'm talking to them is look at the Delta, the difference, the change between 2021 and 2022. And now between 2022 and 2023, it's probably gonna be double, double from a, from a, from a feature perspective and double from a quality perspective. And then I hope to do the same thing in 2024, 2025. Um, I, I think we're just getting crawling now. We're, we're, or I'm sorry, walking now. Like we're not in the in the jog or even run stage. We're just the application's just getting there, and it's only going to get a ton better as we go forward. All right, I need to take a quick piss break. Do I, it. I don't know if I've had to do this before, but I'm about to piss my pants. All right, we had to take a quick break, commercial um, break. Yeah, I had to had to take a piss, which. Normally, I'm pretty good with making it through an episode, but I've had a couple of these drinks, and I guess apparently it that ran, ran right through me. Yep. Um, but anyways, Bill, I wanted to talk about a couple of the, the new features within the app that we were recording instructional videos on today, which is the reason that you're up here with me, and some that are close to my heart, but I know very close to yours as well. So let's start with LiDAR and kind of explain what LiDAR mapping is and what the purpose of that is. So LiDAR mapping is light detection and ranging. Um, it's like rad radar, which is radio detection and ranging. The difference is in a radio detection ranging radar scenario, you're either using, um, well, most times it's like, um, you can think of it as high frequency, like sound pulses, or are you being used to measure the distance of something, which is kind of like how a, a COPS radar works is it measures distances on vehicles and then it can do a time shift and it can figure out how fast an object is going. And then that's how they you know, pull you over and give you a ticket. In LiDAR, it's very similar. There's a light generation source and a mirror that, and a computer that syncs it all up. And, um, it's essentially sending this this laser. It's for laser imaging. So think of it as like a um, an X-ray. It's the best way to think about it. it. Only it penetrates buildings and it penetrates canopy. So whenever you're looking at a lidar display, you're just seeing the ground and what the ground shape is. And um, it, it's very high resolution. Topo um, is the best way to think about it. But it also shows you things on the ground that you wouldn't be able to see in any other format. Um, especially when there's things like you know, on aerial imagery, there's things like um, canopy involved. So when there's, you know, whether it's a skid steer or a um, logging truck, there are these trails. And as you know better than I do, um, in these areas, deer use these, you know, if there's a historical cut or whatever, there are these logging trails all over the place. And then once the woods start to grow back in, the deer use these because they're easier to walk. Um, but the, I think they can also associate the terrain and they kind of know where they are. I think they, deer kind of look at them like they look at transition areas, like deer follow transition because it's kind of like a road or a trail for them when there otherwise isn't one. They just kind of know where they're walking. And it's the same thing with these trails. So especially in like swamp terrain or mountain buck um, country in the big woods where it's a lot of monotonous timber. Um, it's extremely important to know 
um, where all of these features are um, that I talked about, the trails, four-wheeler trails, running trails, anything that's larger than three foot in diameter is going to show up in this um, imagery. And it's, that's the LiDAR imagery layer. And we um, are, are going to release it in two phases. There's going to be the first phase, which you've seen, which is just the LiDAR imagery. Um, and then there will be a second phase where we're using a um, what's essentially, you can think of it as like a video game engine. And that video game engine is going to be drawing the LiDAR shapes and presenting them in a way that looks much more akin to like a cartoon. Um, I'm kind of showing it here, but we can show it later. But yeah, it's just a much cleaner and then easier way to understand um, the imagery, even though it's pretty clean and pretty easy to understand as it is right away. Um, we'll, we'll be presenting that in the application. And, you know, I, I, we're, we're building the tiles right now, as you know. Um, we've almost built out all of PA. There are different levels of resolution for this imagery. There's one meter resolution, which is that three foot resolution that I talked about before. That, that's available for, we're adding all to it all the time, but right now we're at like about 65, I think, percent coverage for all of the US. Um, Pennsylvania is 100%. Pennsylvania is 100%, yep. Um, and other states that are 100% too. It kind of gets more sparse as we head west. Um, but we are adding it from other sources and identifying other places. The key is just to find it and, um, you know, it gets used for topo mapping. It gets used for archaeology. Um, I'll be putting some Easter eggs in where I found some archaeological digs. So you'll be able to see, like, pyramids in South America are some that I've found. So I'll start putting those in as kind of like Easter eggs. Um, obviously, it's used for forestry. Um, and then the other thing is it can measure air pollution. Um, so, you know, there are other reasons why this LiDAR data gets generated. Um, and then it, 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 we can take advantage of it and kind of collate it and put it all together and then present it in the application. But it's extremely valuable. I mean, I've gone back and look at spots in mountain country, mountain buck country, where I've been hunting. And I didn't even realize all the trails that were there. Like I just hadn't, I thought I had scaled and looked at all of it. But then I go back and look at that and I'm like, holy man, I missed that, you know, timber logging trail at the bottom. I missed this one up here. Or I didn't even understand in some cases why there were scrapes where there were until I saw it on a LIDAR map. And then I'm like, oh, there's more trails here. And this kind of ends up becoming kind of a central hub. And so, again, it's just a way to kind of – I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think I said it in these videos that we were making this morning. What digital scouting allows you to do a lot of time is rule out areas, but it'll never confirm areas for you. So you can say like, I, I know I don't want to hit this area or this is too monotonous or this is too wide open or uh, this cuts too young or X, Y, and Z. But once you identify places, that's where the mapping ends and the, burnt, the, the, the boot leather gets burnt being on the ground and actually getting in the area and confirming it. Because even when you think it's good, you get in there and you realize that there's not the diversity in habitat you thought would be there or the trees have been taken down or the imagery was old or there's a million reasons why your job's not nearly done once you've done the digital scouting portion. Yeah, it just gets you a percentage of the way there and gets you in the right area. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the, and the way I look at LIDAR is like, okay, so if you're looking at, you know, the Appalachian Mountain Range or or as – the Southerners, Jason and the Timber Ninja, Appalachian. Appalachian. They get so mad at me when I say Appalachian. So they give I've you crap had... about that too. Oh, yeah. And I, I just tell them they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how the Northerners say it, all right? Um, but anyways, like anywhere where there's big timber, think if you could take 
all of the trees off and just see what the land looks like. That's what LIDAR does. Yep. It's able to do that. And, like, you can see boulders. Like, that's that's a really cool feature. Yeah. You get to some areas, like, that you hunt with a lot of bluffs and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can see bluff gaps, meaning the spots between the cliffs where deer will travel through. Absolutely. From looking at that imagery. You can also, you know, you can see that with slope angle as well. But this just, like, you start going back and forth. This is what, what I get into. And I said it in some of these videos earlier, but like having multiple different maps to look at aerial imagery, you know, with having three, four different types of aerial imagery within the app, then the topo layer, you throw a slope angle on that, you throw 10 foot contours. Now you throw LIDAR in the mix. You just start seeing things from different and you start putting pieces of the puzzle that maybe one map does well, but not great in this area. Well, now this one fills in, and you're really able to see it. Down in West Virginia, where it's straight up, straight down from the bottom, there's not many benches that you can see from top of lines for deer to, to move on, but there's old coal mining roads, and there's old logging roads. Those deer do travel on that, and unless you have leaf off winter imagery with snow that you can see it really show. You can't see that on an aerial map where LIDAR shows that so well or spring seep. So one way that I use LIDAR and I used to use it on Cal Topo, which was not nearly the resolution that we have now in Spartan Forge, but was to find spring seeps because I always found sheds mm-hmm. and spring seeps because spring seeps, they will thaw or they will thaw first and they will freeze last. So deer can dig there, especially in hard winters and I'll always find sheds and spring seeps. So that's one. And you can see every little tiny little thing that comes off these spring seeps. Yeah. Me and I were looking at, it looks like trees. Uh, when you're looking at the LIDAR map of all the little fingers that funnel into like the bigger one that you would eventually see that goes into a stream or whatever. But that is such a, a useful tool for LIDAR and being able to use it. And again, this is just another, it's another wrench that you throw in your toolbox that yep. just helps you get a little bit further with your digital scouting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that we didn't mention is you know, you take that LIDAR layer and then you throw over some 10 or 20 foot contours and the slope angle, but then you pop it into 3D yeah. and you're looking at it in 3D. And the way that we've set our system up is, you know, our 3D and our customizable maps, the tile generation, and then your ability to manipulate it. Um, the way that we do the, the loading, it's very smooth. So when you're able to look in those areas and kind of see it at an angle, like I was even saying it earlier, like sometimes when I'm looking at these and I'm spinning around, I'm getting dizzy. Um, just, just messing with the, with the, with the, I have a, we did forget to do that earlier, didn't we? What's that? Show 3D. Were you doing that on your screen? I don't think we did. No, I don't think we did. And I planned on it because I thought you missed it. And then I got in front of the camera and I forgot everything. I failed. (laughs) (laughs) But you, but you look at that and like my phone's got 120 Hertz refresh rate on it. So it's very high resolution and it refreshes very quickly. But when you get that on there and I'm doing it right now, as we talk, but you just start to, well, I gotta go like that. You just start to look at that. Like, it's just. It's like a video game. It's like a video game, exactly. And it's gonna get even better when we render this again with that um, video game engine, um, the, <laughs> the raster tile layer that I'm talking about implementing next. Um, it's like, you know, nothing you've ever seen. Um, so, very exciting for us. Um, and then this, of course, kind of leads into what I call the wear feature. I, you know, I've been talking about building the wear feature when we first came out two years ago. I said we'd be building it like six or eight months. At that point in time, I didn't know I'd be building a mapping service. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously that elongated the timeline. 
but this is the first step in the where, in the where feature. Um, and the where feature for people who are wondering is we've aggregated a ton of GPS data. That GPS data, we um, train a, a neural network to make the same types of decisions surrounding bedding, food, and cover that a deer would u- do, but using the application. So uh, the best way to present that type of data is on the LiDAR layer. So this is our first step in that direction. After this, we're going to get into like some what we call train emphasis tools. Um, train analysis tools, TAT, that will show you, you'll be able to query the system to basically say, you know, I want to see, you know, from elevation band 1100 to 1400, I want to see all of the south facing slopes that have benches on them. Uh, And then that will just highlight that. And then from there, it'll go into, all right, now I want to see a neural network's play on where it thinks a deer would select bedding in this area or where I should put a trail camera. Um, Again, these are not to replace scouting. This is not the point of it. It's just to give you some new ideas and to look at things in a fresh way and give it perspective and to think about things maybe in a way that you haven't in the past. Um, Because we all, we all don't have the time or the inclination to bounce things off of buddies or um, somebody who's hunted, like, you know, you've got the advantage of um, being raised by your father um, who hunted in this area and has like a great understanding. You're going to get far more from having a relationship from that than from him than you'll ever get from an application, like just growing up and hunting with him. So I kind of say, I kind of make the joke, it's kind of like putting your grandpa who's hunted the back 40 on a phone (laughs) and you could just reference him and ask him, you know, what should you be doing in these areas? And I mean, if that's ethical, then certainly this is ethical. And it's often a question I'll get on podcasts. Like, do you think this is, it's ethical um, to have a ne- neural network that points out spots you should go scout? And I'm like, well, I'm not killing the deer for you. Um, and you've got a God's eye view of the world already. I mean, um, everyone's involved in technology. And especially as we go forward, we need to keep the youth involved in this as well. And I think this is one of the ways, certainly for a kid like me who was raised without a father in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota, you know, if I could have spent, you know, 39 bucks to help me understand the woods a little bit better and, and, and forecast and, and, and do analysis and make decisions and using an application like this to help me, it certainly will help with getting kids involved in hunter retainment going forward. So for all of those reasons, I'm all about um, pushing technological capacity as far forward as possible in order to help people spend more time in the woods and have more fun and be more productive. And ultimately, if you're hunting to put food on the table, I don't care what kind of capability I'm getting you. If it means your little ones are eating, I'm going to get you as much freaking capability as I possibly can. Yeah. Like my kids eat almost exclusively eat wild game. I will freaking kill as much, you know, does die first in my house. Like my hunting season always starts with me killing three to five doe right away. Um, and then the buck hunting starts and then I end the season with, you know, doe hunting. Um, that is the primary mode for me is, you know, meat and, and wild game and, and yeah. And, and, and like, okay, going back to like the ethical side of it and people always ask like, okay, are like this is this technology helping people <clears throat> kill deer i think it is i think it's definitely helping people kill deer but at the same time if you look at the statistics and i've seen this before with elk hunting and you know there's podcasts out there there's videos out there there's mapping applications there's all these different things the success rate isn't getting any better right what it's 
but you still have to put in the work to do it. It's yeah. helping the people that still are going to put in the work in maybe a shorter amount of time, but being able to capitalize on those opportunities and do that. But like, no matter what, you can find the best spots in the world. I know some people that are pretty dang good at scouting that aren't very good deer killers. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and because you have to go in and do the work, are you still good? Are you going to be able to get up? every single day and go in and hunt the spot for a week straight and be able to do that. Or, you know, just there's a million examples of this, but like you still have to put in the work and do it and think about it. It's just, this is helping you be a little bit more efficient with that time and being able to do that. And I think that's, that's a, a, a killer way because the world itself is getting busier. The world isn't the same as it was 40 years ago. No, not at all. It's not even close. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe this can be argued because I didn't live during that time, but like there was, I felt like there was more time out there right now. Everybody's busy. You talk to anybody, no one's going to say, ah, I'm just relaxing. You know, I'm, yeah. you know, not very many people are doing that. Yeah, so like, at least not in our circles. <laughs> no, no. So like being, having the efficiency to be able to do things and, and be able to find spots and go in and check things out. Like that's, that's so important. And for me, very rarely am I like perfectly finding a spot on a map that I'm hunting on that location. Now, the other day I did get lucky where I marked a spot. I'm like, I think a buck's bedding on this little tiny micro point that was coming out there. Looks like a good transition bench that they'd be running on. I found a shed tw- like 30 yards from a point oh, that I marked nice at one? home. Yeah. Nice. Biggest one I found this year. No, and nice. I was like, okay, now that's obviously really cool and that's nice. But a lot of times what it does is get me in the right area. And then you start, you start seeing things like, oh, okay, this looks good. This looks like a good betting point, but there's cover over there. Okay. Maybe he's, he's going to be, you know, spend, and you start walking over there and you fight, start finding the sign. And it's like, it gets you in those right places to be able to, to analyze it. And I know we've said that a bunch of times on this podcast, but like, I want to emphasize that. And that's my standing behind mapping and like, technology advancements and and things are going to get as much as we either like it or dislike it things are getting more advanced i mean vehicles are getting more advanced every our phones are everything is growing so like that's just the turn of the times like things are getting different that's just the way we operate in this world yeah i mean people can feel free not to use them too they don't need to use them no um you can go in and do it without it all you want to i would say there's also a safety element here um with you know with things like mapping and tracking and planning and you know with the earth like with blue force tracker as that comes out being able to share your location with your wife or your father or friends or um, auto sharing pins between people and um it, it to me and you kind of said it earlier um and it, it, i think it's worth a whole nother podcast but I, I what i would like to bring back from those times is like the deer camp mentality and get more people getting this to be more about well it's also about hunting but also about the camaraderie that comes along with hunting and and the the you know we're tribal animals and we like tribes and we like our our groups of people and i think the deer camp tribe is something that um i think we need it more now than in ever it's just it's such a pure place to be and such a great place to be and i saw it when we were at your um grandfather's camp and i see it um you know when we're out at johnny's place and i i just you know bought my father's cabin in north dakota uh that he was you know building while he was dying when i was a young child that i purchased last year and i'm going to turn that back into the deer camp place and the deer camp place has kids and kids have phones and I will send my kid out with Blue Force Tracker so I know where he's at when he's hunting in the woods 
And I don't care if you like that or not. Like it's a safety thing. And, you know, people say, well, if they didn't use that back in the day, it's like, well, they probably would have if they could have. Yeah. They also didn't have vehicles before that. They rode horses fucking yeah. everywhere. Like and they also couldn't bitch on Facebook. <laughs> so yeah. why aren't you sending this message by courier pigeon? <laughs> You're gonna complain to me about my technology, and my company. Wrap it around a pigeon on a on a on a or wrap it around the ankle of a pigeon and send it to me that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And the the deer camp thing, though, man, I could go on for freaking days about that. But like, I, I I learned that especially when I had when Lee and Drew came up here. And hunted the Seek One guys came up and hunted Pennsylvania, and they hadn't really experienced much of deer camp type yeah. vibes. This is a different type of hunting where they're at. And like both Lee and Drew were like, it was so cool to see that and see the memories on the wall and all the old photos and hanging out. Like we were at Johnny's cabin and there, and then I wanted to take them back to my deer camp that was more of a small, no running water type deer camp and experience that. And it was so cool to hear the positive impact that at least they said they had that yeah. they got from it. They told me too later. So they're, okay. they're okay. the truth. All right, they're telling the truth. All right, sweet. But like, I, I think that's so important and to be able to do that. And yeah, and if you can get, if, adding technology to some stuff to get kids involved because that's the direction i mean they're they all have ipads and schools and they're going through all these things like any way to be able to do that i think is super important and one of the biggest things that i you know i told you this when we were driving in the car back from lunch i was like one of my things that i find is really important is i want to bring that deer camp tradition to the next generation and be able to do that because like I feel like my father's age and that generation was big on it and then even down to my age it's 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 lost a little bit there's not as many people that are doing it and I had a guy come up to me at the Maven booth at at Great American Outdoor Show and was like hey I just bought some land building a cabin and getting my dad involved we never had a deer camp thing and I'm like that's freaking awesome like that's what I want right there like I want that and whether that's you don't even have to have your own deer camp even like like that was one of the reasons why I got uh started with the Airbnb in an area was like okay I could have that and people can come have a deer camp experience without the the financial backing of having to buy a camp yeah. or doing anything yeah. they can spend you know less than a thousand dollars and have a place to go to and bring everybody there and then leave and not have to cut the grass all year and do yeah. maintenance and do that kind of stuff. I had two buddies in Maryland and, um, when we were hunting, uh, public out West there and, um, Western Maryland, and we would do it with tents. We'd set up three tents. We'd always go to the same spot and we did lots of stuff. I mean, it, some of it, I talked to Johnny about, and he wants to do some of it again, but one of the things we would do is we would pack out, um, uh, a cooler full of food and a cooler full of beer and we padlock them with combos and we would get out there and we'd go for a week to 10 days and the coolers couldn't be opened until we got a code from a wife the wife's would set we, my buddy's wife would set the code and um <laughs> until somebody killed a doe or a deer <laughs> so we weren't eating we would we went three days one time without eating we're just having salt and water like to keep our electrolytes up and like and like sugar-free Gatorades. And we, one year we went three days without killing a doe. Like you're just ready to kill like the first thing. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I look back on it so favorably. We were young and dumb and full of energy. And we just wanted to like, you know, get after it. And and uh, uh, I'll tell you what, man. It I can see the exact look on my friend's faces on that day where it was the three days where we hadn't killed anything. Cause we knew the area really well. And generally we were getting something killed in the first three sets. Yeah. So we'd find like morning, afternoon, morning 
out of the four years we did it, we were eating in the first 18 hours usually. But this one time on this, by this third day, we were just drinking salt water and Gatorades. And just when I was, I remember they're by the fire and I'm, hadn't told them that I killed anything and I'm dragging this thing and I barely had any energy whatsoever. When I came out with it, they were like, oh, like everyone's cheering and we're just like yeah. arms around each other. You wanted to cry when we were pulling the skin off of this thing to get the tenderloins on the fire. Then <laughs> we text that picture and opened it up and two beers and we're shithoused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have anything in our systems. And we was like, oh, it's the best night ever. And I told Johnny that story and he had, I think he met my buddy, one of my buddies, Dan, that we did that with. And he's like, Bill, we got to do that. That sounds amazing. Johnny would take an axe and break that cooler full of beer open and get right into it. <laughs> I smell beer. I smell beer, Bill. Deer, Johnny? No, beer. <laughs> Let me get my axe. Um, well, that that kind of goes to the deer camp thing. And one of the things, again, and I, you know, it's a different podcast for another time, but we've kind of lost our culture, and other cultures haven't, but our culture has. We've kind of lost initiation rights, like for young men to become men. And to say, now you're a man. I think deer camp's a part of that. I think crazy hunts, like I just talked about with my buddies, is part of that. I think, um, you know, I kind of talked to you about it, what I want to do with my son, which is take him out, get him to kill a doe or whatever, a buck or whatever. And then, you know, have him back in deer camp with my close friends and say, you know, you were a boy this morning. You took an animal's life. We're going to eat it this afternoon. Now you're a man. And I'm going to treat you like that. Today is going to demarcate where I put up with petty you know all the crap that you're doing and being a child and whining and crying and not doing chores and all that stuff and say you know you're 15 now taking an animal's life we're all going to eat it and today i'm going to start treating you like a man like we need those types of initiation rights brought back into the culture the military does it for some people but not everybody serves in the military no but you know because it's kind of generally universally accepted that if you go through basic training and you get harangued for nine weeks and get yelled at and do all these physical things when you come out the other side people will treat you with respect and treat you as a man so there's a bit of affirmation there but like native american tribes and i've got friends who grew up in western north dakota who are native americans and people from other countries that i've talked to they still kind of have these you know, baptisms or rebirths where they say, okay, now you're a man and I'm going to treat you like a man. And just, it happened today. Um, and we don't really do that. And I think deer camp's part of that. I think hunting is part of that. I think military service is part of that. I think all of these things feed in there. And, and again, I think it's something that we, as we're kind of like the new, gen, like, you know, between 25 and 45, we're responsible here pretty soon. <laughs> it's going to be our culture. It's me, our country. Um, and, and we need to, take the good parts out of the past. Obviously there are horrible things in the past and we can freaking complain about that all day if we want to. All of those things were horrible that we did as a country, but then they were kind of universally as every place in the world did the same horrible things that we did. But we need to look back and say, what were the good things that were happening back there? And let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and let's pull the good things into the future um, and keep the cult, the positive aspects of this culture going, which are all over in this room and, you know, these pictures and, um, yeah, that's what I'm interested in doing with Spartan Forge, with the veterans hunts, with the, you know, we wrote like a couple of $6,000 checks to a buddy of mine who was a Navy SEAL who died a few years back. Um, we sponsor a scholarship fund for him. And then this year, I think it was called Hungry Heroes Barbecue, um, where they feed, um, uh, 
military veterans, active duty personnel, and like cops and paramedics. We cut them a check. Um, and that was money raised from people signing up to do these vets hunts that we all take part in. Um, all of that we need, it's going to be on us here pretty soon. You know, your dad's generation, my dad's generation are kind of leaving the cultural zeitgeist and it's time for us to start occupying that. And what are we going to bring into the future? What are we going to do as men to make sure that we're not just all toxic white guys and that we're doing a positive force for good in the world and that we're bringing good things into the world. So, um, it's certainly on my mind and I know you and I talk about this stuff, um, before I started, before I really got crazy into Spartan Forge, I think you and I talked about it more. Yeah. Um, the past 18 months for me have been, you know, I barely have any room, but I, I encourage all men to kind of like, you know, reach into the past, pull the good things forward, reestablish them in the future, find out what made these ancient cultures click, what made these things happen, um, and, and, and then try to embody it and bring it into your everyday life. And that's what I'm trying to do with Spartan Forge. That's what I'm trying to do with these veterans initiatives and all of this stuff is... Um, and we talked about this this morning too, is kind of leave this place better than we found it um, for future generations. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it, it comes back to like nobody, when anybody's hunting, they also don't like, you don't want to, you don't want to see other people in the woods from a selfish perspective. You don't want to have other people there. But like my idea with the deer camp tradition, not to blow up the woods or blow up anybody's spots. It's like, but there's a bigger part of that out of the selfish side of it, throw that out the window and look at the future of what we're doing and preserving that tradition and that atmosphere. I mean, I just know how big of a impact it was in my life having a family that did that. And I'm super lucky for that. I know not everybody has that. So it's like, if I can, you know, or maybe, I don't know, motivates the right word or like, or share those types of things with people that, they want to do that and start maybe that, you know, maybe they didn't have that as long generation, but they want to be the first ones to do that in their family or their friend group and bring people involved in it. That's important to me. And I just had a thought we should do like a deer camp video in the next year or two. Yeah. Like how do you, or how to orchestrate a deer camp? Just get a freaking fridge full of beer. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it'll be, I didn't say it'd be a long video. (laughs) Might be three minutes and 30 seconds and two minutes is Johnny trying to figure out which beer he wants to bring to camp. But I think it would be cool to kind of like how to orchestrate a deer camp because I think there are a lot of people out there like that guy that you met at the Maven booth. Yeah. That just didn't even know that this thing was in the art of possible or that this is something that you could do or it's not a thought that you have consciously. Like you hear about deer camp, but you don't actually say, okay, what comprises deer camp? What makes up deer camp? What, what is the essential element that has been so favorable for you. Um, it might be a cool video. It might yeah, be something th- cool to do. I think it would be really yeah. cool to do. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I know my grandpa's talked to me about that. He watches all my, I've, he's learned how to, to use YouTube and watches all the podcasts and stuff in the garage and was talking about, it. he's like, I'd love to see more stuff at camp and showing that type of thing. Yeah. And that makes him yeah. proud because he was the one that started that. Yeah, so and I'm great. so thankful for that, that he started that tradition in our family and being able to do that. And I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's super important for us. Like you said, we're, coming into those ages where we're having more of an impact on what the next generation is going to be doing. And I think like from a, from a deer hunting perspective and the deer hunting tradition, that's something that is super important to me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, which sure I think was did. really good, but let's go one last thing. And then we're going to close this off. Let's get in the blue force tracker. Okay. So 
I mean, Blue Force Tracker, it's kind of an esoteric term. And what I mean by esoteric is it's not easily, it, it's not something that rings with everybody when they hear the term. But in the military, Blue Forces are just friendly forces, whether that's neighboring military units or um, uh, sister units in the Army or the Marine Corps or whatever unit you're in that are just in the area. The term or, or, or the tracking feature came up in the early part of the global war on terrorism, where um, if, you, if you recall, like Pat. Um, Oh, geez. What's his name? Pat Tillman. Tillman. Yeah. Yeah. The, he was killed by friendly fire. Um, and it was because we weren't deconflicting the battle space. Um, so we came up with this blue force tracker technology. Um, I kind of sat peripherally on, on that in the military and, and made other pieces for it. Not super important, but the central thrust and the central element of it is, is a kind of decentralized, um, location and data information sharing so that if you and I are in different military units and we go into the same area of responsibility, I know you're here and you know I'm here, even though our units did no coordination. That way, if it's at night, we're not like just firing at each other from across a field or something like that. Um, so my idea for Spartan Forge was we take that same thing. We built videos on this morning that we'll be putting out. Essentially, there will be three releases of Blue Force Tracker. The first release is just going to be sharing auto auto sharing of pins and information and metadata inside of a geofenced area. And what that means is you'll draw a polygon on a map, and then you will add emails to it. And then those people will accept the emails, and then they'll get the polygon on their map. And then any pins that are dropped inside of that area and notes and pictures with those pins will be auto shared to all of the users that are on that Blue Force Tracker team. So you can think of that as friends that you might hunt public land with, like I talked about before, or private land or a lease or um, people that you scout with, say you and your dad. I mean, you obviously don't want to share this with everyone, but if it's people that you trust, like you and your dad could share, I don't know if your dad would share with you, but I'm sure he'd be happy to have you share with him. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the pins will be auto-shared in certain areas where you accept to be a part of this Blue Force Tracker team. And then quickly after that, we'll have a location share update that will happen after that. Um, this is being done mostly in stages because the app stores are really finicky when it comes to location sharing. Um and it's easier to kind of get these things in in stages than it is to try to say it all at one time that we're just going to put this huge user update in there where all kinds of stuff's being shared because they have lawyers look at it and they make sure that there's all of these, especially Apple. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to do these in phases. The second phase is sharing location. And then the third phase will be, um, there'll be a, a couple of elements to it you'll be able to have chat conversations that are associated with particular parcels. You'll be able to have a, um, say, say you're, say, say you're the seek one guys and you're asking for permission on a pro property or, or myself. I did it in Maryland as well. Um, you knock on a door and a person's like, well, I've had bad experiences with hunters in the past, or my neighbor had, you know, a gut pile left in his backyard. You can, you know, I wouldn't say it should be your first course of action, obviously, because you don't want to unnecessarily share your location. But if you happen to know there's some really good deer back there or you really need this access, you can say, look, download the free version of the Spartan Forge app, click on your property, and then click that blue box in the bottom and add my email. And then anytime I'm back on your property, you'll see, a, you'll get an alert and you'll get some notes that say I'm back there. Or you can chat with me through there and direct me on which days you want me back there when you don't. You'll see how I'm using the property and then you'll understand that I'm obeying the agreement that we have on the days that I can be here and what I can be doing back on there and where I can be. Or if it's just like in a Western scenario, if you're just looking for access, alternate access or landlocked access to land, you can tell that landowner, hey, you can see when I'm on your property and I'm using it the way that we've prescribed it and I'm doing what I said we would do. 
Um, so those are the three major releases of it. The first one out is going to be out here very soon. The location sharing piece will be after it. And then I'm not sure if we'll get into that um, second piece. Probably won't be maybe until the spring. We're trying to have, as I said before, have everything locked down by 1 September. Um, so for sure, the first two phases that I talked about will be out. And then the third one after that. And again, it's just all about increasing access and, uh, you know, the culture permeating other places and allowing people to get in it and after a deer and places that they might have thought were off limits to them before. And the application really becoming a bedrock or a cornerstone for people to expand their access and, and to buy down risk when they're hunting and hunt more safely and um, more efficiently by, you know, the auto sharing of the pins and say you and I have a public land together, or maybe older, when we're older, we get a lease and we want to invite someone on it, or a kid wants to start hunting with us. You just add him to that blue forest tracker team. And he's got all of that historical information there. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the stuff we're doing with that after the wear feature. And, um, I, I just look forward really to, you know, continuing to push the technological capacity and the capabilities of this to help the hunter out and to help this culture and to help um, people enjoy the woods. Well, I, and, and I want to, I want to add something to that, that there's a, there's a point to blue force tracker that I think needs to be added where right now there's a big, there's a big push of people that are like, you know, our public lands are getting crowded and they definitely are in areas. There's no doubt about it. Public lands are being too crowded. It's like, okay, you don't want to diminish the amount of hunters that are out there. You want to increase access. That's mm-hmm. the import. That's the way to, if you decrease the amount of hunters, yes, you have more land for yourself. But what you come down to is when you have things that come like the thing with wolves being reintroduced to Colorado, you don't have as many the, that voting power. You don't have those things to be able to make those changes and people that are in that, that tradition, that background. So what you can, what it sounds easy, but it's absolutely not at all, but it's increasing access. How can you do that? you got to get creative. Public lands just aren't popping up all over anymore, but that could be permission abilities, being able to do that. This is a tool that can help you potentially get more access to things and be able to, to have, you know, some more of that, that, uh, solidarity that, that, that you want when it comes down to a a hunting perspective. So I think that's really important to note. The other thing is you're from Pennsylvania, you do deer drives. This is a very safe tool that you can utilize for it. So as long as you have, at least the way I understand it, is as long as you have cell service in the area at this point and you have that polygon shared on there, one, you have pin shared, you can draw lines on how where drivers are supposed to go from a safety perspective mm-hmm. and then also know where everybody's at by yep. looking at the map. Yep, absolutely. And, and that, again, that's that safety thing that you were talking about before. Um, I actually grew up with a kid. Um, he's a friend of mine um, whose dad was shot during a deer drive or shot. Maybe it wasn't a deer drive. Maybe they were just hunting and someone thought he was... Someone just took a shot into the woods thinking it was a deer or something and killed him. And so, you know, if I find out through the Spartan Forge channels that, you know, I prevented something like that or helped someone out or did something from a safety perspective, the whole thing is worth it to me. Um, so that's what I'm going to keep trying to do here is create more useful products for people instead of just giving them more maps with more layers. Actually try to do something with the data and with the with the capability. Yeah. So when when is when will LIDAR and Blue Force Tracker be out? I'm trying to release them all at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, I make no account for the app stores because the app stores, when you start talking about Blue Force Tracker and location sharing, you get the wrong person who's trying to approve your app that day and you just extended yourself a week. Um, I believe by next Friday, we will be submitting it to the app stores. Okay. So that's, today's the 30th of March. So seven days from now. So the 6th of. Okay. So maybe by the time this will probably release in a couple weeks from now. So as you're hearing this, it may or may not be. <laughs> could be waiting in the app store. <laughs> it could, yeah. I've learned, I've got to see the inside of that, of when I even get the emails on when you submit something. Yeah. And oh, then, you do? Yeah. I don't know why. Are you on Apple Connect with us? Is yeah, that what it is? I, it must, must be. It must. I have no oh, idea. Oh my goodness. How frustrating is that? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's horrible. It's So there's, it's not as easy as hit go. And like, that's why sometimes timelines get extended standard absolutely like i just want to throw that out there and that's why it's funny because bill doesn't give timelines usually anymore i don't like, i stopped doing you, it because <laughs> people will stop banging me over start banging me over the head just a little while ago i released this lidar thing and this guy that is always interacting with us is like well this is great but when are you coming out with blue force tracker you said you're gonna be out with that like a month and a half ago and i'm like dude if you had to look at all the crap we're doing with the lawyers and the things in the background and the people that have to the legal language that we have to put in there when you for the first time you set up blue force tracker and then the the location sharing and the data sharing, and the object sharing in the background. Um, and then you submit that all to the app store. And then someone says you did some words wrong or go back and fix this or the way that you did this GQL is wrong. And, and then you're, you're, Oh dude, it's, it's arduous. It's arduous. And it's, it's, uh, it's why I've stopped sharing dates because people, you don't make the date and now you're the devil. It's like, <laughs> I haven't raised the price for you. It's not like you're paying for more. You paid for what you asked for and I'm having, I'm sorry, I'm complaining right now. I shouldn't do that. But these people get really uppity with me online whenever we don't make a date. So I've stopped with dates. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. July sometime. If, How's that yeah. sound? <laughs> oh, man. It very well could be. <laughs> well. Bill, thank you again for coming on. I'm glad we got to dive a little bit more into the backstory and just kind of, um, I don't know. This was a really fun conversation. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And if anyone has questions, um, they can hit me up on Instagram. I answer, if you put on there, Hey, I've got a question for Bill. I will be the one that's answering it. As Bo probably knows, I spend almost two hours a morning to, you know, people put reviews about the application. I interact with people. I answer questions, um, questions, please go there and ask and uh, sign up for the app. You can go to SpartanForge.ai. Use code East Meets West. I was just going to, you, you did it. East Meets West, save you 20%. Save you 20%. That's $32 a year. Yeah, How it's 32 you- bucks. And also after BFT and the first elements of the wear feature go come out, it will go up. Okay. So um, if the wear feature even interests you, if you want to save yourself probably 15 bucks, um, for the yearly sign up, I would say sign up for it now, um, juxtapose September or October because, and I only raise the price based on, I, I know what I need to sell the app for to make money and to pay salaries. And then I only look at compute and storage fees beyond that. So I'm not like, yeah. you know, raising the price just for whatever reason. It's like, this is what it costs. It costs me, you know, uh, 27 cents a user for two week period to have Blue Force Tracker. So I now, you know, over three months, what does that cost me? And then I put that, do that math, and that's what I raise the price of the app by. It's less than half than some of the competitors. Yeah. I'll just throw that Yeah, out. and more capability. And, and and this year, we're even doing more stuff. I didn't even mention it. Um, I, I suppose if you are releasing this in a couple of weeks, I can't say it out loud now because it'll be out by then. We have partnered with Eastman's um, and the Tag Hub. We haven't even talked about, but Holy, you've been yeah. seeing it. 
Um, it's also another thing that I've just been pulling my hair out trying to get done. Um, Western tag draw odds. Yes. Um, and, th- and that's probably, that will be out. Our date on the wall is next Friday. Really? Yeah. So, um, it probably is going to slide from there a little bit, but this one's close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. You've been involved with it from the very beginning. So from the Genesis, so Western tag draw odds, um, it's an add in for the application. So it won't come part as your standard service. I th- we just looked up the price that we're charging this morning for it. What was it? 79 or something like that? Uh, 49. N- n- no, it was, it was for everything was like 150 for elite. Well, if you pay for the whole thing, you get yeah. 150. You get everything plus an Eastman's um, magazine. There are two magazines and yeah. all of their online stuff. And, and there was one for $80. I wasn't sure exactly what that is. And included. I think it's either 80 or 60 but then that's just the feature. Okay, gotcha. So um, don't hold me to those prices. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be out there pretty soon. I had to ask one of my guys this and morning. And Bill's about address it. is yeah, yeah. phone number is <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you have a problem. No, it's Instagram. Uh, <laughs> awesome. There. Thanks, well, Bo. Yeah, thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.